Jeffrey. What's that you have in your hand, boy? Pass it over. A telegram. Oh dear. Seems someone has been biting me. Fetch me my trousers at once. No, not those. Those are my time travel trousers. Those are my tea trousers. That's it. Those ones. My fighting trousers. His name is Hari. His world is retail and bolt action. Once he was normal, a tough fighter looking for a decent panther. But as the FAQ dropped, each of us was broken. It was hard to know who was more crazy, Hari or everyone else. He is the one who runs from bayonets and bamboo spears, hunted by neckbeards, hunted by those he couldn't ban from the Australian New Zealand page. So he exists on a 6x4, a man reduced to a single order dice. He's cheesy. <laughs> We're back! <laughs> Excuse me, I've got, I haven't got Rona. I've not got Rona. Lies and deceit. I know. Rob's got Rona, not me. <clears throat> All right, hang on, I'm just going to have a quick drink, just to sort of... Hmm. Choke your germs down back into I know. the upper respiratory tract. The whole time, the whole time I was doing germs to the abyss from whence they came. The whole time I was doing that intro, I could feel that cough just coming out the back of my throat. I'm like, come on, just hold on, hold on, hold. Welcome back to the Bacon Burgers. Uh, we are back again. Um, that's what kind of what we do now, I suppose. We actually do regular episodes. It's, it seems very, very strange. Now, fancy that. Um, with you as always, Chubby Cheese, okay, Tristan, joined, uh, joining me is tonight. We have the Wild Blue Cheese, aka Roops. Oh, wild. Are you yeah. kidding? Come on, Jesus, guys. Snappy, yeah. come on. One job, guys. I'm One job. Sneaking around. <laughs> sneaking around. <laughs> <laughs> and who else have we got? We have the ever-faithful, ever-serving admin, or one of the admins of the Bolt Ad- Action page, Hari Turner. Admin cheese. Commodore cheese. Commodore cheese. I like, I like Commodore cheese. It's uh, your eminence. We flew to hey. Tassie that time. <laughs> that is, is true. true. This is yeah. very true. No, you did, you did do that. You 100% did that. All right, so... Tonight, we're going to run through a couple of things, but um, first off, Hobby, Hari, talk to me. What have you been doing? I have been rapidly switching projects because uh, we've ended up with a skew for... Shut up, Rubes. There's no Panthers involved. Um, No, we've had a skew in the player list for Operation Sandstorm, so I've had to jump from the Rifle Brigade to DAC. Oh. Oddly enough. Um... I'm not painting up a horde of infantry in two weeks, so my Gebex Jager is standing in for DAC, but there there's a few vehicles on the table. Panzer four, Panzer three, and a Opal Blitz with a Flak Girling 38 strapped to it. Fantastic. That'll be good. Mm, very nice. So other than um, painting that up and uh, organising Sandstorm, anything else happening in your world? Um, ticking away at a couple of uh, selectors. And the thing that you're actually nudging me towards answering is, like you, I've been putting in the work for preparing for CanCon 2023. Now, 
we will we're gonna we're gonna talk about this a lot more later on. But when Hari says preparing for CanCon, um, hot off the press is here it is. Um, CanCon next year will be run by myself and Hari. Um, we've got some amazing things in the works. Uh, we have been talking to fucking everybody, and I mean everybody. Like I've got. I'm calling in favors from people who didn't even know they owed me favors. So it is as simple as this. Uh, it's going to be big. It's going to be grand. And we've got some really big announcements. But in the meantime, Sneaky, what's your hobby been doing? Right. Well, um, in the, uh, the the time since we last recorded, uh, I finished a whole nother army. There we go. Uh, which you saw. Uh, saw me run. And, oh, uh, yes. Again, the uh, U.S. Airborne. Um, yeah. So I finished that, and uh, we we had our uh, biannual buy swell, buy sell and swap day. How did um, you go with that? League of Ancients. Well, um, I got a whole bunch of other shit that's gonna gonna get started. Um, so I got a uh, the beginnings of an Eighth Army uh, Perry yeah. Desert Rats. Uh, you've always said it's about time I, I do a Desert Army. So there we go. I'm looking forward yeah. to this. I really am. Um, I ended up with a uh, fucking ton of boxes of uh, Perry War of the Roses uh, plastics. So never mind the bill hooks is uh, is incoming. Nice. <laughs> Sometime soon. Uh, and just working on finishing some uh, Stargrave stuff for commission. Work. Oh, nice. Yeah. That'd be cool. No, so I, I, I've been doing uh, combinations of, like, I guess, Frostgrave and Stargrave. Um, mm. for, for uh, a good friend of mine and uh, kind of coming to the tail end of that. Uh, Bloody fantastic. There's some 15 millimeter, uh, hundred years war stuff on the go. And the other thing I ended up with out of the buy, swap, buy sell and swap day was um, the yeast infection. Uh, <laughs> kind, of, kind of something like that. Um, just an enormous sack of, uh, 15 millimeter uh, metal uh, Fallschirmjäger. Whoa, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, do I hear Flames of War calling? Well, we've kind of moved past Flames of War into O Group, which is the. um, uh, It's not actually a two fat laddies game, but it plays a lot like one of those. So it has all of the blip cards and and stuff. Yeah, like a steakhouse, Uh, but it handles like a buffet. Yes. Uh, so I've been I had been printing up uh, fifteen mil tanks for a while before that. So now I've got the infantry to finish that off. Nice, that's good, man. Yeah, well, uh, we we I was very lucky to uh, actually walk away with that uh, geek villain Matt from the uh, tournament that we will discuss. Yeah. Shortly. So uh, I sold the equivalent um, uh, mouse pet neoprene. Matt that was uh, that was doing that and essentially just swapped it for a big pile of uh, kits. So uh, it was a good, yeah, yeah, good effort, man, good effort. Rubes, um, I told you. Hang on, before we go on, actually, I, I did actually tell you that Sneaky be like sorting himself out with a, a pint of fucking port or Shiraz or something, and he's just he literally did. just gone for it. Oh, he's just gone for it. That's it. Sneaky, Sneaky's out the window now. Oh well, look! I, I've just uh, just finished my dinner, so it's the uh, the postprandial. It's uh, brisket. Scary. No, it was a roast chicken tonight. 
Oh, nice. Ooh, very See, nice. He's well. He's fucking well to sneaky. All right, Rubes, what do you got? Behobby, I'm not going to time you this time. It's a bit rude. No, no, I don't no. think we <laughs> And of all times, I actually don't have a lot of hobby progress, to be honest. Um, yeah, I in the seed. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. I've chipped away at a few odds and ends. Uh, I've got some American War of Independence Brits on my table at the moment. You've grown um, the dirtiest moustache known to man. It's I filthy. Have. It's absolutely well, rancid. It's got a beard as well. It's got a bit of a beard as well, to be fair. It's fucking, there's three um, Serbian potato farmers hidden in that fucking moustache <laughs> <Yeah. roots. laughs> You look um, like a short Captain Haddock. Yeah. He <laughs> 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 calls them bollocks. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've not done a lot of painting actually. I actually, no, I tell a lie. I printed and started painting a um, Roman watchtower in 28 mil. Oh, that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, I got my niece got right into SPQR. Uh, oh, that, so, how's she doing? How do you yeah. find it as a game? How do you find it as a game? I quite enjoy the game itself, actually. It, it flows pretty quickly. It's not. Super complex, but it's got a um, bit of variety in the second edition, of course. Um, well, because it, it seemed like, yeah, it seemed like there was something drastically wrong with the first one. Mm. Also, so especially around the um, the armor and things like that, and costings and things and so forth. But a lot of that's been addressed in the um, uh, the revised edition, um, uh, Death or Glory, I think it's called from memory. Um, yeah, so we had a. Uh, she came up a couple of weeks back, and we had a couple of games there. Um, I ran Ancient Romans and um, some Spartans in a couple of games, and she ran Athenians. Um, she's now written up a list for Ancient Britons. So I thought uh, for um, for a certain British uh, rebellion that needs uh, needed a target, so a Roman watchtower got printed and is about three quarters painted. You know, Watchtower watchtower shit's really interesting. Like, I I read a book recently about walking the length of Hadrian's Wall, and uh, there there was a a discussion at one stage there about, you know, the the watchtowers were what they called mile forts, right? So they're supposed to be exactly every Roman mile there. And one of them, they had to go through all of this ridiculous engineering to make it exactly one mile from the next one, where if they had have gone 10 feet down the road, it would have just been one. I love that stuff. I, I love the way that they made it harder on themselves because somebody had OCD. That's oh, brilliant. It was just an absolute fuck you. Yeah. We're, we're, we're here and it doesn't matter what you do. Yeah. It's got to be one mile. That's fucking brilliant. All right. Um, Mediterranean barge ass. Have you done any other hobby, or is that you're all you're all done? <laughs> no, that's pretty much it. Okay, all right. So I'll run through mine really quickly. I finished the um, finished the airborne. Uh, I was just painting up some. I started painting some British tanks, but then I got hopelessly bored because painting British tanks is like painting American tanks, and they're just dull as shit to paint. So I started the DAC. I ordered some stuff from um, Artisan. Uh, North Star Miniatures, those guys are amazing. I ordered shit and it was there immediately. Uh, for some strange reason, um, I found out when I actually started building it, I have somehow collected four Flak 88s. Um, I don't know how this happened, if I'm honest. It's not it's... enough, I tell you. Apparently not. I'm going to run a four <laughs> Flak 88 list. Um, I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, but here you is the thing. In the um, Budapest book, there is a selector that has uh, four 88s and... Um... 
umpteen uh, flak rings. All right. Well, um, if Brad's running Operation yeah. Bear at the end of the at the end of the uh, year, then I'm taking four flag air. No, I'm not taking four flag air. It's ridiculous. Um, so if any- yeah, of course you will. You're a fucking freak show of a human being. Um, if anybody from Warlord is listening, I would like to say this. Um, I am currently painting up your tropical Folchimiega. Here we go. Can you guys please make every range like this? Because they're fucking amazing. This is a proper love letter. I absolutely love these miniatures. They are exactly the way they should be. They are they're characterful, interesting, fun to paint. Lots of lots of. They're just they're so so fucking good. And like it just makes me upset when I then look at a range like the fins, and they just look horrendous. Like why doesn't everything in your range look like this? They are incredible. Sort your shit out. Like they, holy rifles. Sorry, it's a metal metal one metal box, yeah. Yeah, it's a metal box. That's right. Yeah. Do they have enough rifles, or is it fifty percent rifles and fifty percent? A little um, bit, little, little bit that way, if I'm honest. But I mean, the thing is, yeah, I, I, I haven't got them all sitting in front of me exactly the way you would want them right now. But it's it's actually it's it's a good smattering. Um, I then you know I've got the artisan stuff to kind of mix in with it as well. Um, Rubicon, uh, as per usual, Rubicon are just fucking amazing. They've they've helped me out. So I've also in this list, I've got uh, Panzer three, Panzer four. I've got two two triple twos, uh, little mini half track. Yeah, I got two Opal Blitzes. It's going to be a proper good deck list. Somehow, accidentally, I accidentally clean it, collected Schnell's Angels. Um, I don't fuck it. I don't know how that happened. That's not even a joke. I'm not even trying to be funny. Like I literally started setting everything up, and I'm like, oh, I've got some bikes. Oh, I've got some more bikes. Oh, hang on, I bought some bikes from Rubes. Hang on, I've got some bikes here. I've got like 36 bikes. How did I get 36 bikes? It's like four Flak 88s. How did it's I do that? Sign. I don't know. It's a sign it from is the a universe. Sign. Schnell's it is. Angels it has is. to happen. Schnell's Angels got to happen. So, um, yeah, currently painting the DAC. That's great fun. Uh, the DAC hopefully probably will debut uh, when I go to the UK. for. Um, I'm getting over in October. Flights are booked. Um, that's all very real. That's happening. And then on the last four days of my holiday, I'm hanging out with the juggers. So I'm going up for their not three steps back. Um, that's going to be great fun. So that's what this army has been painted for. So that's it. That's my hobby in a nutshell. Done. Um, so we've had a fair bit go on in the Melbourne community in the last couple of months. Uh, it's been a busy old time for us. Uh, I'll go over the first thing quickly because I was the only body, I was the only one who went. Um, Rubes, you were meant to come down for Andy Baxter's event, weren't you? Yeah, I got uh, got a bad cold on the Friday. Oh, you yeah. did! You sounded awful. Yeah, I was, Rubes, I, I could have sworn you had the Rona. Spewing. Uh, I yeah. would have almost wanted to be the Rona to be worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was just so frustrating. It was just a cold and it passed. And then by mm. the Sunday morning, I, I, I probably could have made it, but I didn't. Quite eat it, you be right, yeah. No. So, we I went with Garrett. Um, we both went down there just to sort of throw dice and fuck around, and have fun. Uh, it was good because uh, on the Sunday we showed up, there was myself, um, Garrett, Bradley, uh, Torvald showed up. There's three others, Albert, who's a new player down here, and two other guys. So, you have to forgive me, guys, if you are listening. I'm very sorry. I'm Shitful with names. I will never forget a face, but I am awful with names. But, yeah, we got three games in because there was only eight of us and we were all veteran players. We just had a, a standard event. 
Um, yeah, just a just a nice cruisy day. Um, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty cool. I got three solid wins. Apparently, I won. Um, I wasn't really sort of paying that much attention. Uh, I got to play so a new, a new gentleman. I got to play, and I'm again awful with names. Then I got to play Lee with his very stunning looking um, Buffalo Soldiers. And then I played Garrett. So the last game we played together and, um, yeah, just kicked the shit out of each other for a while. So that was good fun. But the event that I actually um, want to talk about is the big one, is the one that myself and Sneaky Cheese went to, was Conquest. Yeah, that was uh, that was a cool weekend. Jeez, it's been a long time since I've done a, a two-dayer. Well, um, well Jan- January 2020, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Funny about it was about the same time I did a two day as well. No, so a two, a two day a two day tournament. Um, yeah, yeah. Because mostly we 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 run one day events. It, it's hard yeah. to get people to um, look. It's a it's a big time commitment. It's a big stamina commitment. That oh that was God. something that uh, I think we we both uh, saw by the end of that. That um, you know, standing on your feet on that concrete floor. Yeah. Um, yeah, unless you've got uh, comfy shoes, geez, that that uh, takes a toll on the uh, the old back and the the old man's uh, shoulders and legs. Well, it was also very warm in there as well. So, um, yeah, and you look, it's, so conquest. It's warm, it's warm and it's noisy, and yeah, uh, it was to hear what's going on. We sound so old right now, don't we? Oh yeah, my knees were shit. I couldn't hear properly, and oh my god, my throat was dry. Jeez, we're just whingy. Get off my yeah. <laughs> get off my event. Get out it's, of my fucking crazy. tournament. It's crazy because you know, I I used to do uh, two day forty uh, k events pretty regularly. You know, yeah, fifteen years ago or, or something, and uh, can't be doing that anymore. Oh, Jesus, knowing what the forty k scene was like fifteen years ago, that'd be an entirely other level of stamina involved. Well, this was 5th edition. Um, oh, yeah, not too bad. Yeah, 5th was all right. None of the uh, rampant dickishness of 6th or the cusp yeah. of 7th. Oh, we, we had the when the Grey Knights Codex and the Blade. Oh, oh that's right, the baby yeah. carrier. Yeah. And the, uh, the the flying land raider, that was... that was Ah, uh, beautiful, Blood Angels. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> Good times, good times. Memories. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we showed up. It was a thousand points. It was six games over two days, which um, Sneaky Cheese will tell you is a fuckload of bolt action Ooh. to play. Six games. Six games. So, oh. so J- JL and I actually played each other game five, and I looked over at JL at one stage there, and we were both like just swaying because we were so remunted. And I just said to Sneaky, I'm like, the shit thing is, is normally this is like, you know, the, you know, it's, it's the last lap. I've still got a whole other fucking game to play after this and it's going to be fucking hard work. But, um, yeah. So look, I'll, I'll run through. Run through it chronologically. Cause, cause Go by on. the time we get to that game, the, the, the context. A, will a, a lot had happened. A lot had happened by the time we got to there. Yeah. So who did you play first up? Uh, first up I had, uh, I had Robbie Deacon. Um, first up, which which is always a fun game, you know, real gentleman. Always he, fun absolutely fun is. He is absolutely one of the. He's a sterling individual and just yeah, all round nice guy. Mm. Yeah. Can um, confirm. Yeah, just just a really fun game, and that that was a nice way to because you know I, I had a terrible night's sleep the night before. I wasn't wasn't feeling particularly great at all. 
uh, by the time that I got there, and I just sort of had to work myself up a little bit. And that that was just a great game to to come into it with. Um, yep. You know, uh, so it was just the straight up kill points mission. Uh, he was running his um, Eighth Army. Uh, I think it was an Italian selector that he was running that that with. Nothing that you wouldn't really expect to to see in there. Um, um, didn't go his way. Um, you know, he copped a lot of artillery fire turn one. That just, um, you know, it was the uh, mission with the prep bombardment, and uh, I, I managed to roll real hot on the prep bombardment, and then roll hot with the mortar and the artillery uh, coming in after that. And yep. uh, was, that was hard to come back from all of those pins. Yeah, I'm hearing you. Um, but um, yeah, it was a, it was a great great game. Good table. Um, yeah, that was one one of the desert tables. I, I think you you played on that later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, my first game was against Lee Avery. I played the Gumby list first up. Um, so Lee. Uh, through his uh, thousand points, it was like a rematch from Andy Baxter's event. So he threw a thousand points worth of Buffalo soldiers at me, which include basically it was just what he had. Squads were a little bit bigger, and he also had a Sherman. Uh, so um, yeah, good mission, um, good game. Lee, when we played at Andy Baxter's event, we played um, Envelopment. Now, that's one that does actually have a prep bombardment. And, um, yeah, I rolled for it and got it, and Lee rolled the one and didn't get it. So this time around, we were like, all right, roll for prep bombardment. Here we go. And Lee did exactly the same thing. He didn't get it. I got it and put a heap of pins on his stuff. Um, and, yeah, I proceeded to sort of, you know, sort of hold him back and hold him back. And it was quite good. It was uh, it was, it was was a good win. Um, my little, um, I got a little locust on the day. That got a kill ring. It popped his Sherman. But anytime I play Lee, it's always a really good, tough, hard game. Um, I've been lucky enough to sort of snake wins out of him the last two times we play. But um, Lee's taken wins off of me plenty of times in the past, so it's always a really good competitive KG player. So yeah, we're a lot of fun. I had a, it was really good playing that. It was good. Who'd you play next, Nikki? Well, uh, round two was one of the most interesting ones of the uh, of the weekend, actually. Uh, so I played uh, Torvald. Round two with his uh, Japanese and no, you, uh, no, you, no, no, you didn't. Wasn't round two? No, it was round a three, th- maybe. Yeah, it might have been round three because I remember you got me, you got me over to have a look at that dice roll that we'll talk about later, mm. and that was after I did exactly the same thing to him in round two. All right, maybe, maybe then I'm misremembering this, and round two might have been our uh, young uh, South Australian mate. That was uh, uh, right, yeah, Jonathan Dixon. Shout yeah. out to Jonathan and his sister Elizabeth, who got a Greyhound bus all the way from Border Town to Melbourne. Well done, guys. Big up. Um, great to- now we know who runs, who runs Border Town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, um, what, a, what an effort, man. That was, that was phenomenal. Some, like, yeah, and they were so good. Like, I had a great time catching up with those guys and. They were just, we all went out for dinner on Saturday night. They were lovely. They were lovely. So how'd you go against Jonathan? Um, look, uh, that, that game, I think, um, oh, look, it, it, it was a convincing win. Um, and we, after about turn two or three, we, we just said, look, let's, let's 
view this as like a training exercise and um I'll, I'll i'll show you some of the the things that maybe you should consider doing each turn because i i felt a little bit look i i, I had a very tooled up um tournament prepped uh u.s airborne list um mm, yeah you know it Whereas, you know, he had all of the tools, but I think the the list was was a bit a bit um, uh, needed some tweaking. You know, yeah, the most optimized list. Tools, but they were they were in great big squads. Very well, the the thing was the thing was sneaky. That was actually that was a revised list. As I read his original list, and I think there was only something like sixteen veteran infantry in the entire list. Yeah, and I said to him, I said, John, I haven't even played you. I don't know what your play style is like. I don't know anything about you, but I know full well that I could probably beat you by about turn three, turn four. And he said, Well, why do you know that? And I said, Because all I'm going to do is kill sixteen bodies, and I can do that. Mm-hmm. So you need more. So what you actually played was a better version of what he wanted to bring. Um, but yeah, no, he was it was a good bloke. Look, and look, to, he played it well for for what he had there. But I I feel that. Um, and it, it's something that will apply to what, whatever game that you play. When you come to a tournament, you're playing against people who are often very experienced and write good lists, you know, um, and that sense of um, uh, it, it just couldn't kind of kind of get to where it needed to be because um, – it was that thing about yeah, you you're just going to run into this wall of gunfire and by by attrition, yeah, they're veterans, but um, you know the the they're going to pin them up, BAR fire and whatever, and then the mortars are going to come in on you and yep. the, the the whole business um, happens. It it wasn't a scenario that suited his army, um, because it was an objectives one, and there weren't enough small units that could um, contest multiple objectives. Uh, I think that was that was a difficulty that he had, but it, it look it was a really fun game, and I I think that uh, we made the best of best of it in terms of let's just go through what your possible um, choices are in in each turn and yeah. look at look at how you could address this or what you could do differently. Um, so I hope there was some value that that came out of that, and it wasn't just a, a an ass kicking because I, I really didn't want to want to turn it into that. Yeah, I'm hearing you. Um, my, I'm I'm just trying to remember the order in which we played. Are you sure? Are you sure that um you played Torvald next and not um Albert? Uh, yeah, I think it probably was Albert next. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure that game two was for me was Lockie, and then I played Torvald. Yeah, because Lockie on day one because he only showed up for that. Yeah, he only showed up for the one. The, yeah, Lockie showed up for the one day and completely ruined my chances of first place. So <laughs> thanks, Lockie, you fucking prick. Good man. Yeah, you, you, you copped the Renault. I did. I did fucking cop the Renault. Got it right in the fucking ring hole. Um, yeah, game two for me was against Lockie, and um, yeah, Lockie just put on an absolute class. Uh, I could not um, – he played a French list, and, yeah, for whatever reason, I just could not chew his infantry off. He had a – you know, it's a couple of artillery pieces. He had an armoured car, a tank, you know, two machine gun truck, but just so much infantry. Um, as well. Yeah, well, he was um, – yeah, he had some cav – 
the pain in the ass was that he had um, enough infantry that he was able to go up, get onto the objectives, and then it was very, very hard to kind of go and because I didn't have a very mobile list. Um, my list is, you know, sort of it's an airborne list, so I tried mm. to keep it, you know, relatively themey. Um, but yeah, not having trucks to kind of just you know get me up turn one and then just jump out onto the objectives was difficult. Um, so yeah, by well, the time the game was over, like he had a, he had a clear win off of me. Um, there wasn't a whole lot that I could do to kind of stop that, but yeah, it was a, it was a good game. I had a, a lot of fun. Um, and then my game three, I played Torvald. Um, so he's one of our Geelong players who came up. Uh, that was another fun game. Uh, we, so we played on like a sort of a Normandy, uh, kind of um, table, and uh, yeah, he had like a vehicle flamethrower, a man pack flamethrower, uh, you know, shitload of fanatics, and um, yeah, that was genuinely scary because we've just had that thing where it's like, no, well, they're not, you know, they're, they're now flame proof and all this kind of crazy shit, and it was, um, you know, pins don't really matter, so you just literally just had to kill them, and luckily, yeah, he kind of, um, in the first turn, I was able to snipe out his mortar. My my mortar ranged in on his um, little light artillery piece and wiped that out. So in the first turn, he lost two small squads that were you know very that were in very dangerous positions. Um, and then another, I think I think maybe a turn or two later, I ran a flamethrower up, flamethrower a building that had a sniper and took that out. Um, and then just my infantry just charged across the board. And then it was a matter of um, just you know getting domination on um, on all the different um, board squares. So yeah, I pulled a win there. That was a lot of fun, and he was—he's—he's he's coming up as a really good opponent. Like he's really starting to put people through their paces, which is really good. Yeah, I, I played him uh, later on in the in the event as well, which we'll yeah. through in a little bit. And that, that, oh, well, that only had some real teeth to it. Um, it did. It really did. Like when you actually look at it and you think, "Hang on a minute, this is actually this could be really tough." Um, I think uh, he, he he missed a couple of opportunities that were. Um, yeah, where he could have, uh, where he could have made life very, very difficult for me. But luckily, I was able to sort of capitalise on some of those mistakes. Um, the amusing thing was, uh, I'll run into it quickly. Is one of my squads. I think I had something like four or five submachine guns and like three rifles, and I moved up to within. I was in rough ground, so I moved up and I had a clear shot at him. So I opened fire on him, needing you know, sort of, uh, you know, I think it was twos and threes. Um, and I scored something like seven hits. Out of all the dice I threw, I got seven hits. And I was like, okay, no worries. I rolled these seven dice, needing, I think it was like fours or fives to wound. I rolled them, and every single dice came up as a six. <laughs> yeah, that, that happened to me as well. That's exactly right, yeah. So lovely, you. The love yeah, loop. Love loop. You, two games later, because I actually called you over and said, hey, check this out. And thought, like, Tor was just sitting there, like, what the fuck just happened? And I'm like, I'm so sorry, but that's amazing. That's like, <laughs> yeah, I just rolled seven dice and all of them are sixes. And I got Sneaky to come over. And we started, you know, opposite. Yeah, you know, I said to Sneaky, I'm like, what's the opposite of uh, hate grease? He's like, I'm um, love loop, love loop. So we're like, it's fucking love loop now. But then, um, yeah, Sneaky was playing Torvald two games later and he started yelling for me. And I'm like, Hang on, mate. I'm just playing Albert. I'll be over in a sec. He said, no, no, you've got to come and see this. And I went over. And Sneaky had done exactly the same thing. He'd thrown seven <laughs> dice. Every single one of them was a six. And he'd done them to the same – he did them to the same squad that I did them to. It's the guys who jumped out of that fucking half track. And I was I turned to Tor. I'm like, we're not doing this on purpose, mate. I swear to God. <laughs> 
was it's gold. Magicon all over again. It is. It is. It was um it was it was really good fun. It was it was great to play and um he's a he's a he's a really good opponent, really, really chill guy. Um yeah, so sneaky, third game. That was for you, that was Albert, wasn't it? That was Albert, yeah. Now this this was one of those uh, the conjunction of the spheres when, when everything just went really bad uh for for me. It was it was the mission where you, you start with um all four four objectives um in the cross in the middle and then they move um and, and they, some of the um, punch through yeah punch through um and the the board that we played on that was a tricky one to run that on uh it was one of the two desert boards mm. uh the one with the big big loaves of bread uh everywhere oh yeah mount yeah. morin yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so I, I started off, um, uh, trying to capture the central objective. I had the mortar, uh, kind of off to the side and I moved, moved that one as far back as I could mm. to hold it. Um, look, it was, it was swaying both ways until the, um, oh, what was that autocannon on the truck? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ah, so yeah. Breda, it's, yeah, it's, it's like a bread of twenty mil or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I had my um, uh, vets, you know, hunkered down in a in a in hard cover uh, yep. down, but nonetheless, that thing will still dig dig them out of there over it does. over two or three turns. You know, uh, it'll do it. It will. Um, uh, so that. That was something that I didn't necessarily see coming, but where I really lost it was, um, uh, yeah, he had had a big sort of concentration of relatively uh, weak troops over towards one side, and uh, I outflanked, came in out of the truck, um, submachine gunned one unit, nearly killed it. The um, uh, machine gun on the truck was was firing at something else um but unfortunately he outflanked directly behind me the next turn and killed that squad which is oh yeah yeah it was it was like literally my squad came in tried to do the business and then his came in directly behind them and they did the business got sandwiched yeah uh, and lost the lost the transport because his unit was closer than mine yeah, um, it was a little bit of a foregone conclusion after that. Yeah, um, he yeah. Um, he can definitely push his toys around. That kid, he's yeah. good at what he does. He is, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, he's yeah. actually coming to Operation Sandstorm, so I get a chance yeah. to see him in action. Mm-hmm. Um, no, genuinely, he's a, he's a he's a good player. He's very talented. He's um he yeah, definitely knows how to push his shit around. Um, yeah, he's uh, he's he's definitely one to watch. Um. Yeah. Uh. So. Um. That was it for day one. Day one, we then drove home, and I was just like, oh, I can't be fucked. And then you know, sneaky night. We did, we went out for dinner that night. So it was uh myself, sneaky, Lockie, Brad, Lee. Uh, the Dixons came down. A couple of other people. It was really nice. Um, to actually just be able to sit in a in a restaurant, and have a you know, have have drinks with people. That was something that I've I've, I've definitely missed. Um, good catching up with Brad. You know, we had a really good conversation about um, oh, just about everything. Really, it was you know we haven't seen each other in fuck, like two and a half years or something. Um, 
So then went home and came back the next day. Now, game one on the, uh, sorry, game, well, it wasn't game one. Game four is I was playing Albert. So I got to sort of, you know, meet the Canadian, the Canadian bacon, as it were. Um, that was a really interesting game. Um, <clears throat> for the life of me, I cannot remember what the bloody mission was. Sneaky? Anything? Well, game four, if I remember, was the... Supply uh, drop. It was supply heart, drop. Heart, heartbreak Ridge adaptation. Uh, yeah, it was sub supply drop. So that was one of the new missions that's been written. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, so we got stuck into that, and I was able to pull out a very... Well, not a narrow win, but I was able to pull out a win. Uh, by the end of it, we were, you know, laughing and joking and slapping each other on the back. It was it was just a really good, hard, interesting game. And he's a he's a very good player. Um, you sort of learn a lot playing, you know, playing somebody like that. You learn a lot about, you know, sort of how people deploy. And, you know, he's just, he really makes you work for it. And that's exactly what you want out of an opponent, somebody who just keeps you guessing. Uh, yeah, genuinely. My, my observation of, of that is that, uh, of the game that I played with him, is that, um, he knows the rules a lot better than many of us do. Um, yeah. And some of those little exceptions to to stuff uh, and, uh, you know, how, how they work, you can tell he's spent the time reading the book yep. um, properly. You know, yeah, in, exactly right. Yes, you know. Um, and all power to him, you know, absolutely. That's what everybody should really be doing if you want absolutely. to get, yeah, get good, as the, uh, <laughs> the kids say. Mm. <laughs> Um, Sneaky, who was your game for again? Oh, that was Torvald. Yeah, it was Torvald. So we, we played on the same mission, uh, Supply Drop. Now, to, to give some context to this, th this is a little bit like uh, Heartbreak Ridge, but it's like a variable version of Heartbreak Ridge. I'll show you one better, Sneaky. It's like Heartbreak Ridge and Kitty Hawk Down had a child. Yes, exactly right. Yep. Um, so you know that there is going to be the supply drop on the exact center of the yeah. board. Right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and there will be two others and they can go in. Um, you roll it, you roll an order dice. Yeah. You roll the order dice and they, they will move. Um, what like three, three. Six plus nine. I think it was, I thought it was like three D six plus nine. Yeah, something something like that. Yeah. Um, and so essentially, like you imagine, like Heartbreak Ridge is just right down the middle. Um, this one could go on either axis. Yeah. The, um, diagonal axis across the board, um, and that that gives you some really interesting uh, tactical questions about what you're going to do to um, put some pressure on while you wait to see. Uh, how that is going to play out, but to allow you to go and capture those objectives once they become apparent. Um, yeah, I think it's a really good mission. I, I really do. Same. Like quite a lot. I don't think it should be played in anything like a GT or something, um, because you. I mean, you can sort of get screwed over. Like somebody could, you know, if you roll and somebody gets lucky, they could end up with their objective behind a nice piece of, you know, sort of chunky hard cover and the other person's trying to hold an objective, you know, way out in the open or something. There's that that random aspect of it. And I'm not saying I don't like it. I think it's a brilliant fucking mission. But I think that there's just that, that, that 
the the random nature of it is not conducive towards if you, if you're running a GT if you're running an event like Conquest or you know Andy Baxter's event or you know, any of the V Battle events that we do 100% this is a great mission but yeah the variability of it I I wouldn't be running it at a GT that's just my opinion that, that's kind of how this how this mission played out so we we were playing on that uh, table up in the upper right hand corner the one that looked the one like that, a cave table yeah the one that i played locky on it was a it was a, yeah. a, a city ruin table yeah um hard so work there's these big like multi-story uh stuff on there which which really did suit me better than him because um charging across all of that he can't get his bonsai charges across yeah um anywhere near as easily if he charges me we're going at the same time because we're fighting across barricades um, so what, what I did was, um, in the, in the very early game, concentrate on taking the middle, yep. um, because we know that there is going to be one, um, objective drop there. Right. And then I, I had serious forces on my side of the board in each table quarter, because by the law of averages, there's going to be a second one in either one or the other. Yeah. Okay. It's, and, and that way I'm like, okay. Cool. I can I can hold two that way. Um, you did exactly what I what I told you would be a good idea because you and I had a conversation about this before. Because I'd, I'd actually I played this against Robin a couple of nights before Conquest just to sort of hey I wonder how this works. And yeah, that was it. Sounds like you you kind of you picked up exactly what I was putting down. I think that's the best way to play that. Just you know dedicate a large force to go up in the center, something small to, to sort of guard your own. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, decide if you're going to make a push for the enemy objective or not. Yeah, so it, it kind of played out that way that um, I just, just held the centre and both both flanks, I wasn't pushing up into this into his half of the board at all. Yeah. Um, but there, there was just enough heavy cover there that I was like, cool, you know, come, come at me, bro, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have been a lot more worried about how that would have went um, but for the fact that he rolled very, very badly with his reserves. Um, he had the uh, – because it, it, it does stipulate that it's uh, 50% on the table and 50% in reserves, if I, if yep. I recall correctly. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, and there, there, there are caveats in that about how many vehicles you can start on the table and how, yeah. how many come on in reserve. Um, that the, the real the – real, um, meat in the sandwich in, in his army is that flamethrower vehicle and the uh, half-track with the flamethrower team in it. Yeah. He, he just rolled very badly about his reserves the whole time. Um, it's difficult. They didn't come on until turn five. Oh, wow. Uh, by which stage I was like, yeah, cool, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in the hardcover veteran infantry with uh, – BARs and Garans, like, come at me, bro. You, you know, if you banzai me, we're hitting at the same time. I'm veteran, you're regular, and you will have copped a, uh, a big serve as you come across the open ground. Um, he did get them in in turn five, uh, so I did actually have to abandon one flank uh, and literally just run away from that uh, engineering vehicle with the multiple flamethrowers. Yeah, uh, you can only fire one at a time, but it is pretty scary. Yeah, but because that that table was so cluttered with stuff that um, makes it very hard to move vehicles around. Yeah. Um, you know, be- because of the pivot 
rules and, and stuff. Um, I was able to just keep the infantry out of line of sight and move them around uh, to the, the one that was in the redundant flank. Uh, I moved them around to reinforce the centre. Um, so by turn four, it was like you're, you're going to be having a very hard time to even contest the second yeah. objectives. Yeah. Uh, and there was still like my sniper up on top of one of those big three-story buildings. Yeah. Uh, plinking away at those little um, uh, suicide bomb teams and stuff just grabbed. Yeah, it was um it was funny when he had the he had bomb sticks against me and there was nothing he could do because all I had was a small tank and a recce jeep and I just deployed them on the other side of the board well away from the suicide guys. Yeah. Um so look on, on a different table, like if if we had have played that mission on the table that you and I played on, that would have been a much more difficult um uh proposition for for me to have won that. Yeah. Um yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think other than other than those two vehicles, he didn't have the mobility to move around yeah. as much as as would have been ideal. Not that I had a lot of um, mobility either, but um, yeah, it, it just went my way. It was it was a good game though. It was yeah, fair really enough. Fun. Well done. So game, game five. Game five. Yeah, this was the the fun part, wasn't it? This was this was very nearly the end of the bacon burgers as we know it. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? We, we were say, we were saying that, that you know throughout all of the years that we do this, we don't actually play each other very often. No, we don't. Um, um, famous last yeah. words. Yeah, well, we um, yeah, Lee and Brad both said they tried to keep us apart for as long as possible, but he was like, "You guys have pretty much the same score, so go on, go for it." So, Sneaky and I played each other. We played Heartbreak, Heartbreak Ridge. Um, it was just a really, really hard, tough game. Um, I was going to use the word bitter, but there was nothing bitter about it. It was yeah. just a really good, tough game. Yeah, look, I, I, I think that uh, you, you deployed much better than I did. And yeah. um, I, I just got, felt like I got snookered from – I was tripping over myself in, in – You definitely were, yeah. it's And then we had that whole thing with um, the, the line of sight issue, um, where it's, it's just – yeah, it just made sort of – it just made it – it's a jungle table, and I don't like playing on jungle tables at all. Um, I find they're very slow and very cumbersome. I just I – just, you know, I might try the plants something a bit more open, but look, um, needless to say, we had some really good moments. Um, we were both – failing our shit as much as we were, you know, as, as many times as we were sort of um, succeeding. But um, when it came down to the last sort of dice, uh, luckily I kind of pushed up enough that you were, you were running out of infantry to throw at me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was a curious table as well because mm. I mean, it was, it was very well set out, but it was a very hard table to play against because yeah. um, from any one angle that you have cover, you're open from another angle. So yeah, if you're able right. to deploy really well, you can <clears throat> cover uh, your enemy <clears throat> so that they're, they're not actually, despite how much cover there is on that, yep. they're not yep. actually able to really get cover from it. Yeah. I think at, I think at one stage there I took out, um, I think I ranged on your medium howitzer quite quickly. Yes. Yeah. Um, I took that off. And then there was just other stuff where you were just, 
I think that my either my mortar or my twenty five pounder ranged in on you. Like there was a couple of times when you just said, "Nah, I can just roll you six, and then I roll a six, and it was just like, oh, "I'm really sorry." Um, all right, well, that'll be that'll be four hits and a shitload of pins, thanks. And yeah, yeah, it was just one of those games. It was that position of um, where you would put your howitzer, yeah, uh, where there is actually no way to see it from anywhere. Um, yeah, and then it was it was just then a matter of getting my spotter into a point where he could actually see what you were doing. Um, yeah, we had a couple of hairy moments where you shot at my spotter a few times, and that would have completely neutered my twenty five pounder. But you were hitting him, but you couldn't pin him. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, Albert did exactly the same thing. Albert was trying desperately to take out my my spotter, but every time he would get the hit, but wouldn't get the wouldn't get the wound. Um, so yeah, that spotter was uh, he was hanging in there by his by his teeth. Um, but yeah, look look great game. Um, reminiscent of the armored event that you and I played in uh, Footscray all those years ago. That was brutal, wasn't it? Wasn't it just? Uh, to give you an idea, Sneaky and I did an armored event. I think it was what was it, fifteen hundred points? Yeah. Uh, so you, you had all the the open topped um... uh, four four Hellcats, two uh, four Hellcats, two Wolverines, and two Greyhounds. And the only the, the only the only machine guns that were in the entire list were the coax machine guns on the Greyhounds. Everything else just had the main gun. That was really difficult. It was good against a list like Sneakies, but Garrett played LRDG against me and fucking mopped the floor with me. I just wish I wish I had have taken a um, Panzerwerfer. Yeah, that would have that would have done the the business. Oh, it would have done the business for sure. So yeah, I took a I took a win away from Sneaky, which was um, which was it's a bit unexpected if I'm honest. I, I thought I was um, the the score didn't actually real didn't reflect accurately how close that game was. It was that was a tough game. Well, look, it, so, it cascaded at the end as as yeah. as those those games kind of do. That it's it's yeah. tight and tight and tight, and then um, the morale effect and the um, yeah, the the collapse happens right at the end. So it's yeah. neck and neck and neck, and then it, the the business really happens in the last turn. Yeah. Last um. So, Sneak, who did you play last? Uh, last game I I played Ange. Uh, so the second. Ah, uh, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And th- this was an interesting thing actually, because you know after all of the years that I've been playing bolt action, mm. before this. I had only ever played against the Japanese army once. Oh. They're, they're just not that common. common no, de- de- especially down here as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can uh, see it in Ruth's face. Don't even say it. <laughs> <laughs> Something about bayonets. Yeah, that shit-eating grim from behind that horrible mustache. Uh, <laughs> Jesus, um, don't ever make that face again. It's seedy. <laughs> Uh, so look, this one we we were playing on one of the, uh, the I guess Normandy tables, um, and it was just a straight up kill points mission, which really favoured me, in the sense that um, like a lot of Japanese armies do, um, there's a lot of just small units in there, lone snipers, um, two man suicide bomb squads and when when you come up against an army like that in a kill points mission i i've learned enough about it about don't try and kill a 10-man squad kill a two-man squad oh yeah kill it flat mm. 
and just yeah. rack up that, rack up that uh, dice. Not only the dice superiority, but the kill point superiority in the uh, in the early game. Yeah, then that's with the with things like the ten point, uh, sorry, the ten man sort of veteran squads, even ten man reg squads. Yeah, they're going to be difficult to chisel off the board unless you've got the specific tools for it. But what you can do to stop them being effective is just get some pins on them, because that way it just takes them out of the game for a you know turn or two and it lets you focus on the other shit. Well, the other thing I I, I thought about because we we talked about this I, I think on the way home about using the trucks. Mm-hmm. Um, effectively, and uh, I went a little bit more balls out with with this one. Um, so in turn two, I had my uh, veteran tooled up veteran powers with with all the submachine guns and their um, truck support right yep. in his deployment zone um, uh, because I I really don't want to shoot those green units with small arms and risk them going up. Yeah. Uh, so I was just like, okay, right up the guts, jump out and uh, shoot the ever living shit out of them. Yeah, give them a, give them the old one yeah. two. Yeah, and it's like, cool. Okay, you're gonna bonsai me. You're still um, inexperienced, and I'm veteran. Let's go. You know, uh, and and that that just um, seemed to swing it right from the very beginning. That that, mm. that uh, very heavy early game punch. Um, and I, I was able to range in the, the mortars and the artillery uh, on some stuff that was kind of um, trying to hide behind trees and, and stuff. Yep. So yeah. That that one I didn't feel was really in doubt from the from the from the beginning. A, a different a different mission would have would have been very different. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah, an objective mission where he's got so many dice there would have been really different. Yeah. Um, but just in the sense of I'm just going to kill the ever-loving fuck out of everything. That So that's the thing about kill points. Uh, like kill points missions are always going to – it's always a liability taking a big order dice list to a kill points, uh, you know, to an event where you're going to end up doing kill points. And that's essentially – like, I mean, most Japanese lists are like that. They're, they're fairly big and junky. But that can work against you in certain circumstances. Most of the time, it's a fucking blessing. You're like, yep, I've got plenty of redundancies here. It's going to be good. But if you're playing kill points, well, shit, you've got to look after those dice, and some of those dice are very squidgy. Yeah, well, the the, the difficulty that you've got with some of that as well is that, um, you know, um, fanatics means that it's so hard to kill those big blobs of, of infantry. So you almost just go, look, we'll do that by attrition. Every time... These uh, American squads move. They're not taking the movement penalty for shooting. That's right. Yep. Just up we go. Pin you, pin you, pin you. One or two of you will die every every turn. Yep. Uh, but it's still very hard to kill the whole ten or twelve men. I agree. Until you get into combat range. Yeah. But even then, do you really want to do that? Because then they lose all of those pins. No, they don't. Well. Uh, I mean, like it, it doesn't affect it in in close combat. It, the, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, it's just, yeah, it's it's gone to the days where if you got into assault, you'd lose all your pins. I just want to be very clear about that. Yes, um, but they they don't negate your close combat. No, they don't. No, no, you are correct, hundred percent correct there. Yeah, um, yeah. So I was like, okay, ignore all of those and just kill the officer teams, mortar teams, snipers. 
artillery, mortars, all of that stuff. Um, so, yeah, there were still a number of bodies on the table, but they were pinned and down. And um, But the, one, one of the other things I think that was interesting about yeah, how we ended up where we were at the end was uh, the importance of playing for secondary objectives. Oh, well, yeah. Really mm. And that really becomes apparent over a two-dayer rather than just a one-day one. I agree. Yeah. It gives you some chance to come back from a, you know, look, some some games you're not on form, you've got a table that doesn't suit you, you've got a mission that doesn't suit you, playing against. Sneaky. Oh dear, what's happened? Sneaky just froze. Sneaky's just gone. <laughs> he's been sucked into the wormhole. <laughs> he said the magic words. <laughs> oh my god. The oh, well. the bolt action have realized he's revealing too much, they've had to take steps. He's he's actually just fucking it's like he's Clatu, <laughs> Veracto, Sneaky's the fuck out of here. I, I I do take I do take like um I do take what he says he what what he what, what he's what he's going on about is um is one hundred percent correct but all right so when Sneaky gets back we'll uh, we'll go over that um we'll sort of you know, circle back go. around back. is he back no he ain't <laughs> quality podcasting <laughs> so, the quality of this fucking thing I'm trying to get sponsors at the moment for CanCon and they're like oh what's your podcast called I'm like. I should just fucking lie and say it's cast dice. At least that fucking at least Brad's got his shit fucking tighter than a fucking drum. We're just we're terrible. We are awful. This is embarrassing. I mean, it's not because I don't care, but whatever. All right. So my my last game, um, my last game I played against Pedro. Um, I love playing against Pedro because he is uh, genuinely a really good engaging opponent um really really lovely to talk to i love catching up with him uh always a, always a good tough game um and yeah luckily i was able to he, he took the australians he had the matilda frog and a couple other bits and pieces but yeah luckily i was able to kind of sneak a win away from pedro and have a bit of fun and that was good so um yeah essentially what it did uh i ended up with i think yeah i think someone might come out of uh left field and tell me that I'm wrong, but I um I got some full points wins. I think I might have got four or five full points wins. I had the loss against Lockie. Um and Albert, um, who was the only I think I was the only person to beat him all weekend. I came second to Albert uh by a point, so he got more Damn. secondary objectives. Sneaky, are you back? No, he's no, not. Can't. He's we can see him. No we cannot. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even see him. All right. So, yeah, um, essentially, yeah, Albert uh, came first place. Um, you know, fantastic effort. Well done to him. Um, like I said, very good player. If you find yourself across the table from Albert, best of luck to you. You will need it. He is good at what he does. Um, absolute gentleman as well. Uh, we had some disagreements on the rules, and that was fine. So we had Lee come over and give us a bit of a, you know, a, bit, a, bit of a pointer. Um, nothing we couldn't work out very quickly though, and um, yeah, it was, it was all said and done. It was uh, handled very, very quickly. Um, so yeah, I came second. Sneaky took a third. Well done, Sneaky. And uh, yeah, it was uh, that kind of wrapped it up for the weekend. Oh, fantastic! 
Yeah, sounds like, it was a, sounds like it was a solid event. It was a very solid event. I think what we'll do is we'll hit a break. Um, yeah, just try and, and let Sneaky get these technical issues out of the way. Exactly right. Let's hit a break. Uh, when we get back from the break, um, we've got some more chat. But I think that what we might even do, um, if we have organized it yet, we might have an interview, we might not. I'm not entirely certain. But we should be back after these messages. War and Peace Games are Australia's best supplier of all your hobby needs, wants, and must-haves. Operating out of Sydney, Ian and the crew boast a large selection of gaming systems, including Bolt Action, Flames of War, Frostgrave, Oathmark, and many more. They also stock an incredible range of hobby supplies from Army Painter and Vallejo to get your army looking its best for the tabletop. Give the guys a call or check out the amazing range at www.warandpeacegames.com.au. And welcome back to the Bacon Burgers. You're here with Wild Blue Cheese, aka Rubes, and uh, Sneaky Cheese, uh, aka JL. Um, we have a very special guest with us uh, this episode, um, a Mr. John Russell from Warlord. Welcome, John. Hey guys, how you doing today? Sorry, sorry, I didn't come in with a cheese thing because you took. Well, I'll take Swiss cheese in because if you got blue cheese and sneaky cheese, I'll take Swiss cheese in. So we'll go from there. Nice, Peter. nice. Um, yeah, John. Um, yeah, I'd say your name is actually quite well known in the uh, bolt action world. But uh, for those who are living under a rock, um, would you mind introducing <laughs> yourself a bit and uh, and what your role is? Sure. Um, uh, hi, my name is John Russell. I'm the North American representative for Warlord Games over here on the other side of the globe. Uh, I've been at it for, this is my fifth year going on, uh, taking care of tournaments and conventions and anything Warlord in the United States. Uh, originally, I was, uh, I worked for, I knew the CEO, John Stollard, from working with him at Games Workshop when I was an outrider and then uh, worked at uh, for about did that for about 13 years in conjunction. I also worked at Forge World for about 10 in the States doing conventions and going to shows for them over here. I've been gaming since the early 70s. My first board game was Luftwaffe, so that tells you how far back it goes. Um, I was into uh, gaming and miniature gaming. When I uh, was in high school, I graduated and then ended up getting a store in my mom and dad's basement for a while. That was kind of cool. Uh, and uh, went from there to a game store, becoming the creative consultant, doing conventions in Montana, and then... Uh, we did the first convention in Korea. That was kind of fun when I was stationed over there while in the military. And uh, it's been going on for about, you know, 40-plus years of miniature gaming and painting and board gaming. We used to, when living in Montana, the closest game store for a while was like 100 miles away. So, And it was the closest McDonald's, too. So we'd go and get a road trip and get McDonald's and miniatures and come home and, and uh, paint them and play with Dungeons & Dragons all day. So. Very I've nice. been at it for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Wow, awesome. <laughs> uh, while at, at Warlord, I've done about 180,000 miles now, traveling around, going back and forth to England and up in Canada and around the United States, just trying to get uh, miniature wargaming organized uh, with bolt action, Blood Red Skies uh, as the forefront for right now. Beautiful. Well, one one question I, I I have here, and this this is one that uh, yeah, Rubes and I were ju- were just uh, discussing, um, and and I guess uh, it's pertinent to uh, the the history of, of gaming in the in the US. Um, one of my observations has been that um, 
Wargaming in the US has that uh, that that history of the uh, hex hex encounter uh, SSI and Avalon Hill um, kind of board game thing, and it it almost seemed to me that uh, miniature gaming was was not so prevalent up until relatively recently. But you, you seem to have a, a bit of a history in that. Is, is there anything you'd you'd like to kind of kind of comment about that, or what 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 are your thoughts around how that how that went and the development of uh, the. the well, The miniature gaming over there. Well, it was we we had a lot of Dungeons and Dragons miniatures at first, and there's always GHQ doing you know one three hundred through one twenty fifth. And then there was the uh, mini fig and Grenadier and Ralpartha stuff, and then they kind of get into some fantasy uh, miniatures, and there was some skirmish level stuff, but there was nothing really big and organized except for the historical guys. The historical guys always had mini mini fig stuff, you know, and uh, and that was always. Uh, historical. They had uh, Civil War stuff, American Civil War, and uh, uh, some ancients you'd, you'd run across. But there, a lot of times it was um, GHQ was there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I mean, like so, some of the discussions that that uh, that, that I have on the um, uh, various social media groups, particularly with uh, with American guys. Um, They'll mention that um, oh we we were really into wargaming but um, a lot of it was yeah we were deployed in particular places and it's very hard to take all of your miniatures with you whereas you could take a uh, box set like Panzer Blitz or something along along those lines with mm-hmm. you in the, in the in the rec room. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, a lot of that, a lot of stuff carried well and transported well. Uh, that's you know, if you got like Centurion, that old uh, fast uh, game, you know, based off of BattleTech, they, they, those were were cardboard boxes that you could play, uh, you know, that were kind of uh, easy to transport. But yeah, a lot of times it would end up being a board game, and then you had to have the space to play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, um, one one of the other questions that, in in just very general terms, that uh, that we were talking about about some of the differences that um, perhaps we see here in Australia and in the UK, uh, as opposed to to the US and the way that the the meta operates, uh, is the um, the local gaming store. Is a lot more central to uh, the way that that everything operates in in the states. Um, whereas here, yeah, a, a gaming store is a the size of a uh, of a closet, <laughs> and there's no room to actually have a have mm-hmm. a table in there. Whereas whereas uh, the impression that I get uh, in the states is that that is almost like the the social center of of where you play and. Um, that games live and live and die in in their uh, their lifespan, uh, uh, in the sense of whether they are relevant and lively in the local gaming store. What what do you what do you think about that uh, that idea? Well. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to me when I see and travel uh, to different countries about game stores. Uh, and I, you know, I grew up in America's game stores, and and you you get that idea in your head that every place is like that. And you go overseas and you realize, oh crap, they're they're not. Uh, and why? And what's the difference? Then you find out, for example, uh, some places have what's called a uh, uh, 
they're, they're taxed on the floor space. So yeah. you want to keep them small, and, and, you, and you don't want to have a, a large gaming area where in the States, you're not taxed on, on the floor space. So the, the, the bigger stores, the better stores, uh, the stores that really, really, what I would call a destination store, have massive gaming areas. And on Saturdays and Sundays, they're always full of, you know, Magic the Gathering, miniature games, board games. Uh, uh, and there, and there's, a, there's a big blending now lately of, of board games needing to have miniatures and miniatures needing to have board games or cards so that, so that you need more room. So it seems. So a lot of the stores in the States, it's almost indicative that you have some place to play because it's easier... To, to sell the game if you can go play it. When I first started, you looked at the box cover, you read the back, and that was the determination. He asked maybe the game store guy, has he played it? Or he asked your friend, do you want to play this? And you bought it then. That's That that was the incentive to buy it. Nowadays, people have to see a, 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 a video or a unboxing. They have to see it in the store. They want to play it once before they buy it. And they're real picky on on, on how they want to do it. Well, picky such maybe not a good word, but they're more... Um, uh, they, they they go uh, through different uh, motions on how they want to buy their game, and it's by having the space and having the place to open that box up and show people how to play it, it's easier for the sale. And that's why when we go to conventions, we always want to have our demo area near our booth because it's so much easier to say, "Here's the game. Did you like it?" And you can go right over there and buy buy it. So it's it, it's different. Whereas in England, they have clubs and they sponsor clubs, uh, usually above a bar or I'm sorry, a pub or a um, a local bunch of guys get together and those are the guys and girls that drive the gaming industry and drive the conventions so it's different i mean i've i've, I've only been able to go to one convention in england as a participant and not working and it was a hammerhead about two three years ago and uh, it was such a mind-opening uh, 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 experience because I was I got a chance to see what other conventions look like, and uh, it was it was really cool. I mean, there was a lot of mom and pop uh, train building stores and miniature companies that I never heard of or seen uh, over here in the states. So it, it is quite a cottage industry. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was really interesting. A, a couple of oh, maybe two years ago, there there was the um, the guys from, oh, what is their channel name? Anyway, they, they, they were analyzing the data that came out of the um, Great War Gaming survey that uh, uh, war games oh, yeah. and, and soldiers illustrated. Yeah, uh, and and they they had this idea about oh is is war gaming uh, in decline or not? And um, one of one of their great takeaways from that was. Uh, that very much depends on where you live, um, you know. And and as you mm -hmm. say, that that uh, the the UK has this real cottage industry sort of thing. It's it's two guys in a shed um, <laughs> in in the, the the back blocks. Right. Well, and it's, they, 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 and it, it, right, and it's accepted there. It's part of their culture. It's part of. I mean, they have gaming clubs and schools and stuff. Where in the states, it's not too. It's almost you know chess club fine gaming club. Ooh, wait a minute, I don't know, you know. So yeah, yeah. and it's just 
it, it's really weird. And, and you kind of hit the nail on the head. It depends where you are. Some of the, uh, in the United States, we have a, an organization called HMGS, which is a historical miniature gaming society. And they, they are, they're, they're born in the, in the wool historical gamers. They do historical gaming and some of them have open minds. Some of them don't. And a, a lot of the, the lifespan of this hobby that we have, you know, it, it typically starts with a kid plays shoots and ladders and then he does uh, monopoly and then he finds risk and then he finds Avalon Hills, you know, some type of board game, like, you know, squad leader, or uh, like you said, Panzer Blitz, Panzer leader, something like that. And then he discovers his first couple of miniatures. He probably does role playing, does Dungeons and Dragons. And then he gets into historical gaming and skirmishing and, and you know, through a judge dread game or, uh, you know, a bolt action, something like that. Then he gets into the massive historical things and you've got to cultivate that that gamer and some of the historical yeah, pretty much just described yeah. my uh, rise of gaming <laughs> to be honest yeah exactly and that's, that's how it is and and to encourage that growth you've got to allow that fantasy and science fiction into your historical uh uh backyard and some of the people are very open to it and some of them i don't want to have that well those people that say i don't want to have that that's where it's dying and and without young bloods coming in there's some great conventions over here that probably won't be around in five or six years because they're stuck died in the wool we're going to be historical it's only going to be historical well i always say well if we're going to play historical we're going to do gettysburg then i am the union year confederates i win you lose next game because I mean, every yeah. single any time you throw a dice on the table, it becomes a fantasy or a science fiction game because you're changing the odds. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I think about, you know, I'm on the the committee of my my local. Uh, club like that, and you know, we we are the, the League of Ancients, which is a little bit of a joke because we're all so old. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I'm, I'm in my, my my mid forties, and I would certainly be one of the younger uh, members. Yeah, and look, we're playing six millimeter or fifteen millimeter um, Ancients games. Yeah, um, and, and that is the the. Interesting thing about you know, how do we route people through the the, the, the pipeline? Yeah, yeah. Look, right. we, we we can we can cast as many uh, side eyes about um, uh, you know our um, our competitors, should we say, or the you know, the, the the more outlandish fantasy stuff as you want, but we've got to get kids in. To this, and they will get mm-hmm. into it through Doctor Who. They'll get into it through uh, Marvel. They'll get into it through all of this other stuff. But like that, that uh, th- there's a great um, uh, um, video that uh, <laughs> Uncle Adam did about: Are you old enough for historical games? Well, eventually you will become, <laughs> you will become that that age, probably about age thirty five. Uh, most most men right. start to go. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really interested. All of a sudden, in the Second World War or the Revolutionary War or the uh, Napoleonics, whatever, it just seems to to come come to people all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> you know, around but, around but Napoleonics. Napoleonics is. Yeah, Napoleonics is a young man's game, though, because after 50, you'll never paint all those miniatures, you know, so you yeah, got to get into right. it before you're 50, right? Well, what, what was it that's... Uh, paint the uniforms. 
What was it that the uh, the yeah. general said? Any any hussar that lives past thirty is a is a is a wastrel. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but there's now rarely, very rarely, does somebody skip the chain, as you could say. And I've only seen it once in forty plus years of gaming. It was at a convention. It was on a Sunday, and the mom brought her little boy in after going to church, and and the kid was like maybe eleven or twelve, and he was naming by name. All the historical Napoleonic units on the table by name and getting it right, and all of us old guys are standing looking at him like the prodigal son has has has, has returned, him. <laughs> and we're like, and we're looking at him, and the mom is like getting worried, you know. We're like, ma'am, you don't understand. Your kid is a prodigy. He is going to go very very far. Because uh, I, I think people don't understand that wargaming gives you social skills, gives you math skills, gives you communication skills, gives you a bug about history. You want to just start doing research. And I said, look, your kid is 12 years old. Usually a person with that kind of knowledge is 30 years old. Your kid, and, and she, she, she could tell she was a little bit hesitant because she was worried. But then when we started telling her how great her kid was and what he was going to do and how what he could do, and I said, look, and there's guys around him right now. That guy over there, his name's Joe, and he's going to, he's local. He'll talk to your kid. He'll take care of your kid, and he'll make sure that uh, he'll mentor him through this because it's a rare, rare thing to see a 12-year-old kid start nailing Napoleonic and and talking about yeah that's red so it's this unit that's blue that's this unit and he was nailing them left right and center and all of us are like my goodness Bigfoot just walked in the door you know it was just that amazing <laughs> that, 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 that that this kid was there so uh, it happens but it's rare but the, but but you build your audience just like you build your audience on a movie you know you build that hype you've got to allow that young kid in there. And that's why uh, I'm a, a big proponent, of, at least in the States, that we help schools do summer programs with with our miniatures or with any kind of, you know, or any kind of help we can give them to help nurture that along. Well, that, that's one of the things that, that I've always said. I mean, they, yeah, you get you get your your old school grognards. They are um, bolt action is the Hollywood version of uh, World War Two, and that the, there are game system X, Y, or Z that is uh, more. Uh, "Quote unquote uh, accurate, but no. This is, this is where you you meet people where they, where they are, and if you've seen Fury, you've seen the Dirty Dozen, you've seen um, the Guns of Navarone, so on and so on. This is where you meet people about engage with the history. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's you know all warlord rules somewhere in the first or second paragraph. I always say, hey, thanks for buying our game." But it's your game. Do what the hell you want. Thank you know. It's we're historically based, not historically accurate. Our games are designed to be played in, a, in an hour to four hours. I mean, what what airplane game that you know of? Can you take eleven brand new players? This happened to me at a convention. Eleven people came up to booth and said, "We want to learn Blood Red Skies." I'm like, "Whoa, oh okay." So I each, I gave them each two airplanes. We sat down at the table. We had twenty two aircraft on the table. 22 aircraft. And from, hello, my name is John, this is Blood Red Skies, to knock it off, knock it off, we're done, everything's cool, hour and 45 minutes. Beautiful. Beautiful. I mean, it's just, and everybody had a ball. Now, if you want to go for, check your six is a fantastic game, but I don't want to spend six hours with one plane and four guys. 
you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and if there's, and, and that's what's the beauty of our, our, our of our gaming hobby is if there, if you really, really want to go down that rabbit hole, there's a game there. I mean, you can go out and do that. And then some of it's home, you know, homegrown. Some of it is 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 uh, you know, there's there's a uh, uh, there's oh, what is it? Uh, so many other games besides bolt action. If you want to get into the accuracy, if you want to do the command structure, if you want to do the, the you know, and, and the, the great beauty about so much of that stuff is, yeah, yeah. your miniatures do double duty. They are not tied to one to one rule system. Your your Roman legion legionaries, you can play something as uh, simple as a skirmish game as SPQR, or you can go up to um, Hail Caesar. Uh, Hail Caesar, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the same way. Um, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm just getting a little bit of feedback from my from my mic. Um, yeah, the, the, your your collection of, of miniatures is not tied to an intellectual property. And I think that's one of the, the, the great selling points of historical gaming, as opposed to uh, uh, something that's tied to an intellectual property. You know. Well, and that's and that intellectual property is a double-edged sword because you know the, the, there's things you can copyright and there's things you can't copyright, and so in some places like uh, nations I won't mention, that's just a right to copy, uh, and that's just you know they like to do a lot of those things, and and whereas we don't have intellectual property in some of our stuff because it's World War Two. We, we won't be affected, everybody will be affected eventually, but we won't be affected as hard or as quickly about this 3D printing stuff that's happening, unlike Games Workshop will, because they have intellectual property, but their models are a little more expensive and a little more, so people could do, right? When, you can't do a box of 30 guys for the price that we sell them. But, but you yeah, can do five guys. I, I, I've been saying this for for a long time that yeah, okay, look, I've I've got multiple three D printers set up, but I'm I'm not gonna be doing infantry on those because the value proposition um that of what what uh Will or or Perry or whoever who at Fireforge do, it's not worth me running that thing hot for so long. Yeah, I, right. I, I get a great box great. of uh, infantry great. off the shelf, shelf, beautifully done. Beautifully done. See, that's one ready of the to go. One of the other selling points of bolt action. People need, uh, you know, uh, you know, bloody hundreds of dollars worth of miniatures to play. Just to play. No, like, no, you can really buy your box of infantry. Infantry that that will do. Or if you stay, you know, buy the thousand points box for one hundred and sixty-five dollars, and you'll never buy anything again. I mean, you're done. Exactly right. Exactly It's a good, good, good. I think the game scale suits new entrance into a war game because you don't need those thousands of fifteen mil or six mil figures to complete your battle. I, I think right. the, the other thing that, that works really in, in Warlord's favor in that sense and why the market penetration is so strong there is you get a one-stop shop. You get rules, you get figures, you get uh, supporting background material. 
all in one place. place. And, you know, it, for, the, for those of us that are more established in historical wargaming, we're used to the idea that, yeah, you have to shop around and buy figures from different ranges and whatever, and that's, that's part of the fun for some people. But if you're used to the idea about you get a, you want a box set, uh, with your rules and your miniatures and whatever in it, you've got that. And that's, that's a great crossover from the, um, uh, I guess, um, IP control kind of stuff. And and why why Warlock does really well with that. And and in that. Uh, History won't change. You know, World War II was World War II. And, yeah, okay, it's been over 80 years, you know, since some of this stuff happened. But there's still books being written about it. There's still stuff you can do. Um, uh, and it's just and it's, it's, it's just, it's just amazing. I, you know, when, when me and Steve Smith sat down to write Korea, and we did Korea together, I'm still collecting books on Korea, and I'm still putting stuff up for Korea, and it's still got a large part of my life right now. Even though the book's been out now for three years, I'm still doing stuff for it. So it's just, and like you said, the multiple use. You can buy a box of American infantry, use them for bolt action, use them for bolt action Korea. Heck, you can even go K-47. So you get three three uses out of one box of miniatures. That hasn't been like that for a long time in the industry, I think. Well, it, and unless we're talking about the the, the um, yeah that UK model where yeah okay you you just buy a, a packet of miniatures from some garage company X some garage company Y yeah and and that takes that takes an, a, a, a decent level of investment in the project to, to do that because you know you're going oh do they scale together well is is this guy yeah the other one. Yeah, and, and look, yeah, I, I think that that's a that's a great project, and um, Warlord's done so, so well about that in terms of just uh, uh, making it a one-stop shop. Well, and and I gotta I gotta be honest too. What amazes me is is the fortright stick-to-itiveness and gumption that you guys have in Australia that, I mean, my God, you guys have to deal with all that shipping and all that stuff trying to get stuff up here, and you still do it. You still play Gates of Antares. You still play Bolt Action, and it takes you guys a while to get that stuff, but you've got a great support network down there, and it amazes me how how um, robust it is. When I start talking with people about Australia and New Zealand about playing games, and they're like, oh, it's nuts down there. They are just gung-ho, and they're playing the crap out of this stuff, and it, and it, it amazes me, and I take my hat off to you guys, because, I mean, it is amazing, and someday, maybe, hopefully, knocking on wood, I'll be able to come down and experience that myself. Well, fingers crossed. We'd love to see it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Huh. But yeah, the, the, the industry, I think, like going back to what we started off this whole long rabbit hole dive into was the industry as a whole is sound. The industry as a whole is changing. You know, there's more games now with cards or boards. Uh, we just released a game called Combined Arms. It's got all of that, you know. So, it, it, you know, it's our first board game. You know, it was funny when you said, start talking about uh, uh, Romans. That was the very, very first box of historical miniatures Warlords sold. And it all because 
Paul Sawyer and Joe and John Stollard were made redundant, and they had their their check, and they said, "What are you going to do?" And they're sitting around. John, everybody's heard this story, or if you haven't, I'll tell it. Um, they're sitting around John's dining room table in his kitchen. So, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? And so, it's, it's like those freaking uh, uh, vultures in in the Jungle Book. You know, I don't know. What do you want to do? Say, hey, stop that. <laughs> so, um, they decided that they would. You know. We've always wanted to make Romans. Let's make some Romans. You know, we never made Romans in Games Workshop. Let's make Romans. So they made Romans, and they ended up selling them. And that's kind of was the, the genesis of Warlord Games was was that yeah, first box, yeah. and I, it was I've sold. Got about, a, got about 150 of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first box, the first box was sold in Brookhurst Hobbies out in California. So that was where Warlord started. So it's kind of like one of those. Wow! And now we've gone 13 years. And now we're putting out a board game, and we're putting out more miniatures, and we're putting out different. Some people say that we're trying, we're, we're spreading ourselves too thin, and we're trying to specialize. Well, John's been trying to take care of the industry as best he can, and if he sees a friend of his that's starting to get into trouble, maybe he'll see if he can't help him out. And and uh, that's how we acquired, uh, you know, Skytrex. We, we acquired uh, uh, Duncan McFarland's uh, miniatures, uh, and uh, to keep those legacies alive and keep them going instead of getting pushed in the ash heap of history. So we've got. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're, we're keeping them going, and and now we're able to diversify our our portfolio, to use the the buzzword. And, and well, now we can... here's a question for you that's, that's, that's somewhat germane to that. Then, so I mean, every every um, country has its own. Um, what would you call? It? I, I guess culture of, of wargaming, right? So, um, Warlord has its, its uh, range, big range of pike and shot stuff, um, and similarly, it's uh, uh, American War of Independence range. Right. I mean, is, is there much demand for the uh, English Civil War stuff in the U- in the US? Does, does that have much penetration at all, or not really? Or really, what do you think? You'd be surprised. There's a lot of it going on here. In fact, there's a convention just for uh, uh, Seven Years' War stuff. That uh, that's the only. It's a convention all about that time period. So there's more of it than you would expect. And that rule system is is flexible enough that uh, a while ago in a convention we had here, we did we used the Pike and Shot rules for Aztecs and Conquistadors. So yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it is. It, it's it's not as big as it could be in the states, but there is a presence here, and a lot of people like it, uh, which is amazing, and just shows you the the flexibility of this hobby. Beautiful, beautiful. That's what one. Um, that's one. That's one. That's one. That's one. That's one. I've seen rules for Samurai for Pike and Shot, um, additional um, army lists for Hail Caesar, Hail Caesar. Um, and of course Bolt uh, Action has had a, a wide variety of fan-based fan um, army books over the years, which a lot of developed into actual warlocks. Fantastic. Like you Australians. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, that, that online presence just keeps those just keeps ideas flowing and keeps, flowing uh, keeps uh, new information and, and rule sets sort of, sort of morphing out of uh, the base ones, which means that if someone does, if have, if someone does have an interest to go down a particular rabbit hole, there's usually a, a, a mod for a... a, mod for a, a, a 
rule set they may have played before would accommodate for it. Yeah, I think I think a, a, a good metaphor is this hobby will stop when you want to stop. I mean, it's always going to be here. It's always there. And, uh, and, and it's one of the selling features I have when I meet a mom or dad or grandma or grandpa is that, that, that my, my, my grandkid or my, my son, daughter, uh, they'll play them video games. And then they're just, I, mean, I said, listen, they can sit there and they can play the game for three, four hours. And then when they turn it off, they have nothing in their hands. If they come to my hobby and they pay a miniature, they now have an, a family heirloom that they can pass on to their, their, their kids and their kids as kids. And we were over one of my Raiders came with me over to England back in 2019 around Christmas time, Brian. And uh, he was talking with Pete Healy, one of our spinners, one of our metal spinners. And then uh, all of a sudden he disappeared for a little while. He comes back uh, a couple hours later and, and Brian says to me, uh, and a Raider, I should probably preface that, is one of the guys that helps me cover North America. I have 47 of them that are scattered around the United States and Canada. And I can't cover this area all by myself. So they assist me at conventions or become me at conventions if I can't get there. So we can do like three or four conventions on the same weekend and show the world our presence. But uh, that, that's what a Raider is. Um, and he comes up to me and he's got this miniature in his hand. And he says, my son wanted this command unit and I was able to go down and spin it myself. So now his son is going to have a miniature that his dad spun at headquarters for his army for his rest of his life. It's going to be an heirloom that he can pass to his kids. So that after three, yeah, after three, four hours, you've got something tangible in your hands that you can pass off and, 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 and after that, instead of just, you know, a bit of uh, uh, zeros and ones digital. I mean, th that's the beauty of this hobby. And a lot of my relaxation is building terrain or painting miniatures just to just to, to, to relax and calm down because it, it gets to be pretty hectic sometimes. And it's just, that's my escape. Uh, an hour or so a day, you'd be surprised. That's what John Starr always says, you know, an hour a day. Uh, if, if, you, if you take more than an hour to paint a tank, you're doing it wrong, which I, I, I might differ because there's some things I like to put on my tanks. Well, but, uh, I had my uh, uh, commission painter, and you know, even before I started uh, doing that for, for, uh, for, for paint, I would just say, okay, after dinner, one, one hour a day, you would be amazed how much you get through in a week, and then yep. You multiply that by a month. You multiply that by two months. Off you go. You're, 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 you've got an army in two months. Easy, easy done. Unless you're like me, you want Yeah, but there's nothing wrong with that as well because we this hobby allows you to do that because because you know sometimes our mind does pop back and forth and if you have the space and the area and the time. That's great because now you keep your mental health though still. Yeah, you're upset at yourself because you haven't completed a project in a while. But then all of a sudden, three projects are done at once. And you're like, holy shit. And you're like, girl, great. So you can get that done. And hopefully this is not a PC thing. Sorry about that. No, We have uh, salty language out good. in the eyeballs. Uh, good, uh, good, uh, good. We're good with that. But, but it's... It, to, to be able to have that flexibility to bounce back and forth and not be confined to one 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 rabbit hole is sometimes liberating and and daunting. <laughs> so uh, one, one question that that pops into mind is uh, how how is how is uh, epic um, scales gone gone for you? The uh, for me or for the company? Well, in, in well, I, I guess. Uh, 
particularly in, in your, your, your area. Your, your okay, sure, sure. Um, well, the whole experiment of the EPIC system that Warlord decided to do, and we jumped into it with American Civil War, was we didn't have any 28 mils ourselves. We had the Perrys, and we, we were debating whether to to do that or should we try this epic idea and the reason why they're 13.5 instead of 15 is that way you can get a whole regiment on one sprue you get you know five stands a, a cannon and, and a commander on one sprue so you can get a crap ton of stuff in the box and you know 2,500 figures in a box it's freaking amazing we've played some some enormous engagements uh, with the uh, American Civil War system at my club and they, they just look amazing. They, they, they it looks right. Really it looks right on the table. I mean, when you step back, that the, the, the miniatures and the train, it just looks like wargaming. And uh, uh, last year at Millennium Con, some of my guys got together and they got this crazy idea. And they ended up doing um, the Battle of Shiloh on the map of Lucian. So they mixed metaphors or mixed gaming, wargaming periods. And they had... I, so far as I know, it's the largest setup of Epic I've ever seen or heard of. They had over 600 painted stands on this table at one time. And yeah, it was it amazing. It looks amazing. It looks amazing. The pushback, as far as I've seen from it, is that uh, it's people that uh, want to play other systems where where the basing size is very particular. Uh, yes. Yeah. Like um, Field of Glory, for example. Uh, yeah. Where the, yeah, it's very particular about the size and the angle that you're facing on. Uh, but that's not really what Black Powder is about. No, it's it's about getting a bunch of guys together and having a fun game and doing it in four hours or less. Now, yeah. I myself had nothing to do, had no interest, and had no miniatures at all for America Civil War mm -hmm. until that box set came out. <laughs> yeah, and now and now I've got tons of fifteen millimeter around my. I mean, I'm looking around my my uh, little gaming area slash workshop here or you know planning area and i've got a crap ton of 15 mil and i and i always i'll push anybody's letter around uh you know and i'll play a game and now this waterloo thing came out and again same thing i had no napoleonics i'm over 50 so i shouldn't be painting napoleonics but now <laughs> i've got a shit yeah, yeah, your, your eyes are about as good as mine i'm guessing exactly yeah exactly <laughs> and it, you got to use that three foot roll you know paint your yeah. miniature put it extend your arm out it looks good enough you go uh last time i think last november to date I was told by headquarters if I get my dates right and it's I need more coffee maybe but at that time last november for american civil war epic we had manufactured 13.5 million figures Beautiful. Yeah. Thirteen point five million figures. That's more than it revolved in the battle itself. And it is still very popular. People are still buying it. I sell one or two or three of the starter boxes for uh American Civil War every convention I go to. And now with Napoleonics and with the French, British and now soon to be Prussians, people are just like, Oh my god. And and you can paint the Prussians like Dutch or the, the French. I can't remember how it goes. I even had a guy grab a, uh, a sprue or two of the British 
Napoleonics, took him away from Adepticon, brought him to Little War. So we're talking about three, four weeks, okay, a month. Had him painted up as Americans for the War of 1812. And they oh, yeah. looked oh, phenomenal. I mean, it was just like the, the mind of a gamer is is amazing and he'll take something that's off the shelf and, and mod it and ching and junk it yep. and make it into something that has, it's just has, 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 has there been a um good uptake of that in the in the store system oh yeah 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 we're selling it I, I, sell I, I, I guess that um yeah a lot of a lot of gamers like 15 mil is is a grognard scale right yeah yeah it's, yep. it's, it's an old school old man kind of scale uh we're used to 25 28 mil 20 20 25 20 Yep. Stuff. Um, and when you get into uh, 15s, you're, you're, you're getting, you're, you're really in the weeds with that. Um, and one of the things that I've been really supportive of uh, the, the, uh, the Epic project is to make them in plastic and to make them available so that you can get your rules, your figures, your whatever rulers you need, all, all your stuff all your in one box. Um, because that that is something that when you when you're when you're invested in a system that's reliant on um, on stores rather than clubs, yeah, it lives or dies on can you get it all in one hit? Um, right. So yeah, I'm interested to see how that's gone for you. Well, and the, the the American Civil War box was fantastic, and it was what a great test that uh, you know. The the sales guy said, "Well, maybe we'll sell a thousand. Let's humor the boss." And and the boss said, "No, we better make three thousand. Well, I think we sold five since then. You know, so we we just it's been going nuts. And you got both armies in the box, and there was only two sprues really. You know, there was you could they came out either blue or gray. They were pretty much basically the same. And then we're going to have a sprue of we're going to redo the horse and put them on a sprue. So basically, that first test was two sprues and went fantastic, and everybody loved it. Now we're doing Napoleon." I've got a, I've got a um, starter box sitting on my shelf. It's one of my many, many projects. Yeah. Yeah. And now the Napoleonic box, we had to split it into British or French because there's so much in there because they had so much cavalry. When the Prussians are released, we'll have 11 different sprues for that line. There'll be 11 different sprues for that line, which is just amazing. And then the next project, which I can't talk about, but we can probably bounce around a little bit, uh, is going to even be better. And it depends upon how people buy it, how people like it, how it's received. And the more people like it, the better we can do. Uh, Today's industry and, and the gamers are so fortunate to have the choice to pick this miniature or that miniature or try this or do this at home compared to back in the day when you had like three miniature lines. You had Grenadier, Mini Figs, and Ralph Partha, and you were stuck with that, and you oh, had no I, choice. I, I right? have a, um, I, I, I'm in the process of, of liquidating them, actually, but um, uh, 1970s odd era uh, <laughs> Mini Figs. Lump of leads. Yeah, leads, uh, which I'm I'm gradually swapping out for um, uh, AB Miniatures, which is an Australian company that, that does, does lovely stuff. But they're, they're very large, 15s. They're actually more like 18s. Um, yeah, they're all, they're all 
single singles. Um, and one of the things that I, I do really like about um, the way that the epic stuff is done is that they're so easy to paint because they're ranked up together. Yep. Um, yeah, it's not like you have to paint each individual figure as if it were a 28-millimeter figure. Um, you're painting a stand of... 10, 10 cards, whatever it might be. Um, and, and, and there's a lot that lends itself to uh, process painting. I just get them in and out, and uh, they, they look fantastic. They kind of like that. Yep. <laughs> that three-foot rule kicks in, and, and they look great on the table. And that's what you got to remember is nobody's going to pick them up and say, hey, you missed this button here. And also, when you rank them up, <clears throat> I, I learned much to my chagrin on my first test is you can't paint them like a 28. You got to paint the front rank front and the back rank back. Don't paint the middles. I mean, you can paint them up a little bit, but nobody's going to be able to tell if that guy in the middle back row has got a beard, which I did paint, but now the next batches I won't because you really can't see it. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, it's going very well. Uh, we're very excited uh, to release the Prussians, uh, and we're very excited for the next project to come up around Christmas time. So, uh, and uh, the epic scale system for Warlord will not go away, but it'll be expanded. I can say good. that for sure. Good, good. I, I think it. I mean, it, it works very well with the um, slight tweaks to uh, black powder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and black powder is a wonderful introductory system uh, to um, that, that era. Yeah, yes. it's not fiddly the way that a lot of other systems are. Like, you know, the same way that that um, bolt action is. Um, I guess the, the Hollywood version of World War Two, and you're not worried about the granular granular. Um, aspect of effect you know, is is one gun slightly different than another. Really, they're, they're just ranked up into into their to the, um, uh, slightly different versions. Black powder works very well like that. As does as does Hail Caesar. Yeah, um, Hail Caesar works just as well with ancients as it does with shield. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, it's one of those, my first experience with Napoleonics was I was in high school, we went over to the history teacher's house and we, we played it and there was like seven or eight of us and we did six hours and we did two turns and we didn't finish the game. I'm like, whoa, that was fun. And it was at yeah, the time. Yeah. But now, uh, if you ever go over to, uh, like John has a, has, has a game every Thursday night at this house and you, you show up at six, house rules kicking at nine and you're out the door by 10. And you'll play a game uh, in four hours. I mean, the fastest black powder game I've ever played, <laughs> uh, we did it in an hour. And it was eight of us, and apparently all the dice fell just right, and the charges were blown and stuff. And then, and we got done, and we looked at each other and think, I think we're finished. And everybody's like, yeah, I think we're done. But it was an hour. So you can play yeah, a black yeah. powder game in an hour, and it's just... Yeah, it's, and, and I, I, I've never been a fan of inconclusive games. You know, that, that no one wants to just sit there and roll dice for five hours and not have any anything be decided. You know, you've got yeah, to yeah. get to the, the end point. Yep, yep, and then you can talk about it later for the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, and there's a uh, circle back to um, sure. Arms. Uh, oh, sure. Uh, 
I've, yeah. I've got I've, a um, pre-order that's pre-order on its way to Australia as we speak for Combined Arms. Fantastic. As long-term listeners of the show, I'm very much about the narrative of the story. And I've seen Combined Arms for the potential of creating that grand sweeping story. Yes. What will it mean for bolt action players? The... the uh, I've been told and I've heard from, from uh, several people, it's going to change how you play bolt action. Uh, and it's not in a bad way. Uh, combined arms is, is is a new thing that we're trying that allows, everybody's been wanting somehow to tie it all together. Uh, just like those grand massive GW games, Europa. You know, GDW had that huge system called Europa that you needed like a uh, gymnasium to play in and uh, like three months to play it. Um, what... What this game is going to allow is is a game club where a bunch of guys get together or girls or players or whatever you want to get together and play a campaign how you want to play a campaign. So, again, the Warlord mantra, this is your game, do what you want with it. Uh, it's it, You can play it as a board game, and you play it in about an hour, 45 minutes, maybe two hours, and, and there's four boards in there. Uh, there's Africa, there's Eastern Front, there's Guadalcanal, and then there's D-Day. Now, if it is popular and people like it, we might put out more boards. It's a high-quality cardboard. It's very thick. The cards are very thick. Uh, it's very colorful. Every surface has got some kind of picture or something on it, and it plays pretty quickly. And uh, I keep using this example. There's an old game called Othello back in the 80s, uh, Easy to Learn, Lifetime to Master. There's a lot of idiosyncrasies of this game that are sneaky. And you can, and a certain card plays just like any other game system. If you once you figure it out, there's some cool little things that can happen. And the beauty of it is, uh, for a store or a club, they can set this up, and it'll last for three months. A lot of game campaigns that you set up, it, you, you're all hot and bothered at first, and people are really playing it, and then it goes along, and it kind of loses its loses its. Uh, 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 it, it starts falling apart. It starts just just melting away because people start getting disinterested in it, or or th- it's kind of, it breaks down. It just breaks down. Whereas this is going to give you a skeletal structure to hang your games on, and you can play the board game straight out and be fine. Or if you get to a square where a tank or an infantry guy are adjacent to each other, you can flip that and now go to your bolt action. And each counter on the board for ships for uh, tanks and for infantry represent 1,000 points in their respective game. So 1,000 points of bolt action, 1,000 points of cruel seas, or 1,000 points of victory sea. Blood Red Skies, it's 500 points. And you can go then and do that game and come back and, and then reflect the results or outcome on the board. So you can go back and forth on and off the board with however you want to do it. And then if you do that bolt action game, there is attrition. Okay, so if you have a 1,000 points and you lose 600 points, now you can combine some of your... Uh, uh, it's a little more bookkeeping, but you can combine your miniatures together, or you can say, okay, that's only a half force, really. So when you go play it again, it's only 600 points or 500 points, not 1,000. So there's a lot of... Um, things you can do with it. Now, if you want to play Guadalcanal and you want to do specifically Guadalcanal, you have to uh, you'll have to set the deck a little bit because you don't want to have snow happen in Guadalcanal. There's a card for snow. So you might want to pull that from the uh, that deck. But it is made for the 
player or players to do a campaign either quickly on the board or over some time and really get into it. So I think you're going to be very, very happy with the quality of the material. The rule book itself is 44 pages long. In that 44 pages, there's four pages of ads for the respective game systems. There's three pages of glossary. There's rules on how to do a campaign for Bolt Action, Cruel Seas, Victory at Sea, or Blood Red Skies. And then there's introduction, this is the board, this is this. So really, when you boil it down, there's only like 12, 15 pages of rules, tops. Uh, so it is uh, a game, I think, that there's, you know, We've learned a long time ago we can't please everybody. So there's going to be some naysayers. There's going to be some people that say, oh, this is crap. This is, you know, okay, fine, whatever. Um, use it what you want. But for that group that's been wanting to do a campaign, for that uh, batch of guys and girls out there that have been wanting to play longer or put their games together in a narrative fashion, I think this is going to scratch that itch. It's certainly uh, looking to tick a lot of my boxes, to be honest. Uh, big green ticks in a lot of boxes uh, that I want from a campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just uh, when I you know I was able to go over for a sales meeting the first part of April. And they they actually played through a couple turns with us and we watched it. And I'm like, there's so many tricks and fun things you can play with this game, and 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 there's some strategy that you can place on that board and how you play your order chits that will really uh, uh, either benefit you or screw your opponent. You know, it's it's uh, there's some fine things you can do that that that, that the way the game is set up that. Uh, it's gonna be. It's a lot of fun, uh, and uh, I'm very excited to uh, bring it to the masses. Uh, we'll we'll be. Uh, it comes out and whenever we air this. I don't know, but it comes out around the 14th of May. Like I said, it's been shipped to. We always ship out to you guys first because uh, you're the farthest away. So uh, hopefully it all hits at the same time. But uh, I, I think you're gonna be pleasantly surprised and well pleased with the neck box. Good, good. I'm, I'm really interested in uh, getting a copy for our club um, because we, we, we have looked at the, that process about how do we, do we join games together into a into a campaign. Um, because I mean, the, the campaign books are, are wonderful for particular scenarios, but um, joining them together into something coherent. Um, without without a lot of uh, fuss, yeah, that's that's something we're certainly interested in. Well, I'm sure that some some club or some group of folks, I know this is going to happen. I, I can almost predict. I can almost bet my next paycheck about it. Somebody is going to go way into the rabbit hole in the deep end, and they're going to set up that old school people with the big long sticks and the map, and they're going to have something going on, and then they're going to break off into other different rooms, and they'll have the big, they'll explode the map till it's huge, like a four by six. And they'll have the little markers, and they'll be pushing them around, and they'll go, okay, what's the results from the bolt action room? And what's the results from the cruel seas room? And and they'll be planted on this big board, and, and it's going to involve more groups. And like you said, to get other people in, if, you gotta, if you're in your gaming group, there's always those niches. One guy likes naval, one guy likes air, one guy likes armor infantry. Well, now you don't have to have cruel seas in your in your house you don't have to have blood red skies on your shelf somebody in your gaming group does now you can all play together the same game so that that's another thing how to get all us gamers together if you get a naval guy that only wants naval that's the only thing he'll ever play and that's the only thing that's ever going to be and that's the best game ever great you play victory at sea you play cruel seas come on over and play with us now your results are going to affect this board game so now everybody's involved 
nice. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm really excited about it. Uh, it's been a long time making. I mean, when Brian and I went over in 2019, Alessio and his guys were just starting to play it, and they had these car- they had these pieces of paper cut in squares and this this uh, amorphous map all kind of drawn out and thing. They're starting to push things around and try to get an idea. And uh, now to see it from those pieces of paper and dice to this full up, beautifully boxed system is just amazing. It's just great. Fantastic. I'm already uh, having thoughts about what I can run for campaign days or weekends for events um, mm-hmm. and try to broaden some of uh, the range of players that we get, just like, uh, like you said, with Blood Red Skies and uh, Victory at Sea and the like. So I'll, uh, I'll certainly be putting it to use in the uh, the future, that's for sure. Yeah, and, and I'm sure people are going to come up with their own maps too. Uh, yeah, the Eastern Front map is Sevastopol and Kerch and all that kind of stuff because we wanted to put ships in there. And, and for Eastern Front, that's really the only place. But if you want to do Stalingrad, do Stalingrad. And you can, you can make up your map and have fun. Uh, you could probably even use some ships from Cruel Seas because they did, you know, run. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could do that as well. And uh, I, you know, I, I have that enormous resin resin Bronner crater on my shelf that I, I've never actually used in a game, but somehow I have it there. <laughs> they're, they're fun. We we used one in a. We made up a board specifically for the use of one of those. We had like a little river on the side and the German fortifications, and it came on there and shelled it and dropped off some Marines and stuff. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you can, uh, you know, and and hopefully people out there are are not doing a. You know, haven't been waiting for combined arms to combine our game systems. I mean, there's always been people. I mean, we've done Guadalcanal and Stalingrad with, you know, you have the bolt action table in the center, and everybody's running on that, and that's a constant game. And then you have a, a Cruel Seas or a Blood Red Skies game going on the side, and if the uh, ships get in, uh, then the Japanese will get reinforcements. Or in Stalingrad, the bone craters come up to Volga and they can shell the German positions. Or if you have blood risk guys, the bombers can come in or ground strikes, you know. And heck, we've even done, you know, you use the firefight rules, you know, the, the street fighting rules. And you can have like a, a building or a Japanese village that can affect, you know, if the Marine Raiders get through the village on the main bolt action table. You can get two squads flanking the Japanese, you know. So, so it's always kind of been there, but this is the first time that it's kind of like been written down, and, and you've got something tangible now. That's awesome. Yeah, so I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what people think about combined arms. I um, just jumped on my warlord account just to see. Uh the tracking for <laughs> how far <laughs> off my coffee is because I really want to crack it open. Yeah, yeah. There's a. Uh, I know there's two uh, podcasts out there uh, that have had because I was in it. Um, they've had a first look, you know, a first dip in the pool, as you could say. Uh, Lead Pursuit. Uh, we did it with those guys. Had a great time with them. And then uh, there's a bunch of guys out there called Sit Rep. Uh, Sit Rep Podcast. And uh, Sit Rep Podcast guys uh, uh, got me got a hold of me at Little Wars two weeks ago, and we did a video uh, shot of that. And we opened the box and showed people what's in there and stuff. And uh, uh, and the Lead Pursuit guys, we delve deep into more of the. They're, they're more of a Blood Red Skies guys, but they, but they do. They're up to 89 or 90 podcasts in three years already, so they're, they're really killing it. But they do other systems besides just Blood Red Skies, and we had a great talk about what is in the combined arms. And uh, and there'll be videos and unboxing. I'm sure everybody's going to have things out there. It's just, that's what you do now with game systems. You gotta, 
uh, people don't buy it like I said before. They don't buy it just because the box is pretty. They want to see it played and stuff. So people are going to like this one. Well, and it, it, it opens up that, that um, yeah, if the proof of concept is there, you you have the ability to do um, the, a, a version of that for ancients, um, for example. That you, you yes, have, uh, yeah. If the concept is solid, um, you know, you, you have uh, combinations of um, you know naval and uh, infantry war. In uh, in the Mediterranean, ancient Mediterranean, it's, uh, it's all good. Another sure. one would be uh, Napoleonics. Yeah. You combine uh, black seas with um, black uh, powder. With black powder, yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And people have started to do that now. They're starting to realize that it's not just one game system. You can combine them. Nice, nice. Fantastic. All right. Um, all right. Before we wrap up, um, any. Uh, Bits or anything you can uh, give us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's always those at the end. What's going on next? Snoop around. Yep, yep, yep. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and uh, I've been known. To, yeah, I've been I've been known to leak pretty good too. So um, <laughs> uh, we're gonna finish up our, our our Italians. You know, we've got a bunch of stuff for Italians coming out. We've got uh, you know the Alpini and the Bisciglieri box sets of plastics will come out. So they'll be at the end three three boxes of Italians. We've got a bunch of support stuff coming out. We've redone all the uh, the paratroopers. We've done all our metal sets. We've redone them, re reboxed them, re re recast them. We've got the second book, you know, right now, just as a working title, it's going to be Tough Gut, uh, you know, because the first one was Soft Underbelly and then Tough Gut. Soft Underbelly goes up to about Salerno, and then this, this one, uh, Tough Gut, will go to Anzio and on up to the Rome. Uh, so that's coming in. Uh, we've got, uh, I've seen some more fins coming out. Uh, I've seen uh, uh, more stuff for, for my Korea. They're going to have the uh, Chinese SMG. Uh, uh, I've seen um, the uh, unit of <coughs> Belgians on bikes. I've seen uh, the uh, models for the Belskis. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Belsky brothers, but they, if you see the movie Defiance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Nice. yeah we're going yeah, yeah, to do, do those guys. I've seen some um, more stuff for Blood Red Skies, uh, you know, uh, B-17s and, and B-36s. Uh, I've seen, uh, we're talking about maybe uh, John's going to be doing uh, a black powder supplement for the Boer War. Um, we're going to do some that'll spank. sell that'll sell well in Australia. The yeah, world yeah. stuff. Oh, yep. yeah, yep. Uh, yeah. Some stuff for eighteen twelve. Uh, we've got uh, you know Slain just came out, which is phenomenal. And if, if oh you're, yeah, you're, he did Slane not is, think it, he did not think it too many. That's yeah. right. He did not think it too many, and uh, it's <laughs> I, you know I, I wasn't I, I wasn't uh, con conversant in that series at first, but then I've I've read four of the graphic novels and and it's oh man the horned the horned god is just phenomenal. classic, like, classic, yeah. classic. I mean, it is. Yeah, that that's the one that just rolled me over, and uh, so that's coming out. And, and there'll be more for that because we still have to do Elfric and the Cauldron of Blood. So there'll be some more stuff for that. And then uh, we've got, um, let's see, Hail Caesar. I think. Let me think. Oh, there might be something online for that pretty soon. We've got. Um, a supplement for I think I saw it in rough draft back in the open day in September 
for some northern frontier black powder stuff, you know, Afghanistan. Is there anything in, in the, speaking of um, Hail Caesar, is it, uh, we, we had Shield Wall, but it was the early version of um, uh, the, the Saxons and, and British. Right. Um, is there the, the sort of second version of that with the Vikings uh, and Saxons? Uh, I think... I think so. I'd have to. I'd have to go dig in for to make sure. It would, I don't want to say it would make, it, would, it would make sense that it that it that yeah. it was because yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Range it's the right so progression, I guess, for it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll look next time I'm over at headquarters. Uh, we've also got. Um, there's talk of maybe another starter set, and for bolt action, and that would be desert. So what's in that box? It could be Italians and British. It could be Germans and British. It, it, uh, I'm not quite sure of the contents, but there's a potential that we might have another box set for starters for bolt action. Um, let's see what else do we got. Uh, more stuff for Victory at Sea, of course. More boats, more ships. Um, Beautiful. And and we've and we've moved. We've moved our cruel seas and we've moved Gates of Antares over to Skytrex. And a lot of people thought, oh my God, it's dead. No, it's not dead. We've moved it over to allow that to live and breathe and take care of it. So now we can get more open spaces for our main uh, uh, headquarters. We got more uh, room to do things. And, and now pretty much Gates of Antares 2 has been released last week. Yeah, it was released in PDF, free to the public. People are going nuts over it. There'll be some more models for it later on. Uh, it, it's, it's been redefined a little bit from the original release, which was one of our biggest releases we ever did was when Gates of Antares came out. Um, oh, there's more stuff for Black Seas coming out. Uh, Hold Fast is coming, and it's going to give you Portuguese navies, Russian navies, uh, pirates, more. All the stuff that we had in our Smuggler's Run solos uh, thing yeah, we put out. Yeah, with the, um, the talk of campaign rules and that as well. For yep, yes, there is. And stuff. Yep, yep, there's in there. And then there's also all the stuff for the uh, Terrors of the Deeps in there, too. It's a great little supplement that Gabriel and the crew did. So that's coming out. And there's more ships as well. Uh, and Gabriel just announced, I think, on social media that because of we, we've been having some problems with our masts, or people have been complaining about some of the metal masts for our boats, that they're going to start now putting in a sprue of plastic models to go along with their models so you might get a, a sprue of brigs or a sprue of frigates in there to take those masts off without an increase of so far as I know Gabriel says there won't be an increase in the box price so that way you know because some people were complaining that the metal masts were too fiddly and stuff like that so we, we listened to the customer and we've thrown in some plastics however all across the industry and you guys have known this as well cardboard metal and wood prices have gone through the roof because of what's going on around the world so we've oh, had to everything you know, is phenomenal it's gone nuts it's, it's gone it's gone stupid you know uh, uh you know uh, uh our uh, our uh, leisure time hobbies are starting to like wait a minute but i think we're still gonna have fun we're gonna be able to give you guys a lot more stuff and of course then mythic asia i mean mythic america is gonna have the inuits coming out and uh, we've just released the pre-orders for the maya and then uh we're starting to i know work with uh, mythic studios on the next box which will be mythic asia uh, and then eventually there'll be five total books, Mythic Europe, Mythic World, and Mythic Africa to go along with that whole thing. That's all spun off of Woe, you know, Worlds of Warlords of Erevan, which is spun off of Gates of Antares, which is spun off of Bolt Action. There's a theme here, as you can see. So um, uh, the so more stuff's coming out from Mythic America, 
we the camisots and the Maya stuff are coming out are just oh my god they're so freaking beautiful uh, and uh, uh, so that's coming out as well so a lot more stuff in the pike and the service we're, we're we're starting to get back onto our schedule releases we're starting to do a lot more things and uh, and I can't say it's, it's a great time to be alive in the golden age of gaming I think so uh, too. All right. I can just say Beautiful. That I'm going to have to pull a lot more uh, overtime shifts with uh, all these people. <laughs> I'd better get a job. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A lot more stuff is coming. So get ready, boys and girls. Get ready. Fantastic. All right. John, Thanks so much for your time, yeah, John. Really appreciate yeah, I'm glad it. I'm John. It's been fantastic. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. We'll just—I uh, know it's—it's it's, it's a little harder to coordinate with you guys, but I'm more than happy to. I like this part of my job, sitting and talking. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, uh, we can see you at, at uh, one of the Australian events in the near future. Maybe yes, like CanCon or uh, yes, yeah, you know, Australia's premier uh, and biggest bolt action event. Um, although I would also yes. recommend heading down to Tasmania for one of the Tassie events with. Uh, a lot of the uh, terrain that uh, was in the um, the Budapest book and several other books as well, uh, being made by the crew. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and it's just a beautiful place yes. to visit. So, uh, yeah, um, hopefully we can uh, catch up in person at some stage. If not, I hope to be travelling to the US in the uh, next couple of years um, to go see family. So, um, yeah, I might have to uh, hook up a game or two while I'm over there. Excellent. Well, first round will be on me, whatever it is, wherever it is. <laughs> Done. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, well, you guys have a fun day. Take care now. Take care. Right, John, Cheers. This, mate. Bye, Cheers. G'day, legends. We want to take a quick break to give a shout-out to our good mates at Kaiju Beer. Kaiju is an award-winning independent beer and cider brewery based in Melbourne. Founded in 2013 by brothers Nat and Callum Reeves, the duo set out to brew unashamedly intense craft beer and cider without compromising taste and quality. Looking to shake up the overly serious scene surrounding craft beer culture, you'll spot Kaiju on the shelves with bold, loud and unusual can designs. Check them out at, at Kaiju Beer on Instagram or spot them at a bottle shop or bar near you. And we're back. Minor technical difficulties notwithstanding, we... Lost one of our members, but Sneaky is back and he's looking more satisfied than ever. So, um, the big announcement, the one that has more or less we've been sitting on for a week or so now. Uh, Tristan, what have you got for us? I'm getting a sex change. Um, big news. Uh, I figure I've already got the tits. It's not that much. Uh, it's not that much of a big stretch to sort of you know whip off the. No. So. Um, <laughs> I've been rumbled. Make a great woman. Um, I'm going to go by the, the name of Eleanor. No, BMW, um, a big northern woman. Exactly, fucking right. Um, so the big announcement is that Hari and I want to. Uh, we, you know, we've already announced this. We're, we're running CanCon. So CanCon next be year. Be very afraid. Be very fucking afraid. Um, we the ultimate view that Hari and I have for CanCon is to. Uh, without, I'm not trying to shit on anybody who has run it recently or not so recently or anything, but Hari and I want to take CanCon back to, you know, it is the, the largest event that we have on our event calendar and we want to restore, you know, a certain amount of, you know, pomp and grandeur to it. So, um, yeah, she's going to be a big one. 
Uh, we're talking to everybody, um, the biggest people that we are currently in um, conversations with. Um, our Warlord games, and at this stage, it's looking like um, we will be uh, presiding over the very first. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Hara, you want to help me out? Um, is the official Warlord Australian GT? Is that it? Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful, that, but that is it, much. it definitely is. Yeah. Um, Sneaky's Sneaky's camera is frozen and it's it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> he looks so joyful. He's gone again. Sneaky's out. He's gone. I'm, I've given up. Okay, so yeah, we're running that. So basically, what, what we're looking at twelve fifty five games, and we are currently doing the roundup for terrain. And I'm telling anybody who's going to rock up to this that we are trying our very hardest to make sure that every table is an absolute banger. Uh, we have hopefully got terrain coming up from Tasmania. I've got terrain coming. It, we're, we're getting it from everywhere. So every table is going to be an absolute scorcher. The prize support at this stage is looking absolutely insane. We've got some special little goodies that we're working on that we're going to keep on the down low. Um, but yeah, um, trophies, prizes, everything, the whole bit is going to be absolutely off the chain. Uh, and we um, have uh, the guys of War and Peace Games, you know, to thank for a lot of this. Um, they've, you know, fantastic at supporting our community and you know what, they're doing it again. So, um, to, I was about to say Ian and John, but I can't say that anymore. So Ian and Sean, so Ian and Sean from yeah. War and Peace Games, thank you very much from the bottom of our, bottom of our hearts. But Hari, what are we, what are we thinking? What are we going to, what are we doing? Well, we are going to get a little bit crazy with it because we've, there's enough experience between us that we want to play around with a few things and give people, you know, a few different little tasters of what could be. We want to see some things out there that don't actually get seen that frequently. Exactly. We want to see some variation in lists. We want to see people take those units that they normally wouldn't consider. And now we could talk about unit XYZ on a podcast for hours Yep. But there's no guarantee that that would convince you to take it in the current state of the game. Exactly right. Now, if we to sit, if we were to sit down and tweak a few rules, change a couple of minor mechanics, or that, or hang on, or go and have a chat with some people who have already tweaked the rules and have already done the play testing, aka mm. our brothers over the ditch, uh, the juggernauts. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Yeah, absolutely, and you. you know. We've looked at those their work. We have. We've liked what we've seen. We have. So we've decided that we're going to run a bit of it at CanCon. Um, Talk to me. What are we doing? So for those of you familiar with the Juggernaut Pack, uh, infantry-based medium machine guns. Yep. Now, this is one that I'm hoping will see a lot of change. If you inflict, so as we worded it, infantry team MMGs, now that's inflict... The, that's- yeah, that's that's the one. That's the the, um, the three man medium machine gun. Yep. Now yep. inflict the... one pin on a unit that is declared that is declared as a target. If it's plus, in range. If it's in range, plus an additional pin if they t- then inflict a successful hit. That's so powerful because you can be like, "Well, I'm going to shoot those guys." Oh yeah, but they're like you know range down, hard cover, six on sixes. It don't matter. I'm in They've range. Just taking a pin. You're taking a pin. 
Like, and that's an automatic pin. And then also, by the way, oh, you've rolled your five or six dice, depending on what nation you are. Oh, look, you've actually gotten a hit there. That's another pin. So you can do up to two pins. Um, this does not infect, um, this does not, um, this rule doesn't have any bearing on vehicle mounted MMGs. It is only the MMGs that you see that it's the three man team. And it's to simulate a suppression mechanic. Absolutely. So, guys, bring out your MMGs. We want to see them. Let's see that American list that's dripping with three MMG oh teams. God, I want to see that. So, you know, I'm, we are <laughs> going to see that. I just know it. I Honestly, I genuinely hope we see someone lock down an I'm, entire I'm, flank with those. <laughs> Tristan, right. calm yourself. <laughs> oh, it's gone from six to midnight. Right, what else are we seeing? What else are we doing? All right. So, we're also tweaking light machine guns. Now, yeah. this is one that's coming for a lot of robust debate over time and it's always been a conversation that is had at some point in the community so we've decided to implement the following change now an infantry squad that is selected at full strength or has at least 10 men to be considered full strength can take a squad integrated lmg at no additional cost for free so examples a soviet siberian squad would have to take all 12 men to qualify. Mm-hmm. A partisan squad would have to take 20 men. Now, now this, this also effect only affects, you only get the free LMG if your squad is eligible, if that is a selection that you can make. So absolutely. if the selection that you're making does not allow you to take an, MM, an LMG, you're not getting one. doesn't matter how many people you take. Yeah. Don't be so don't get any ideas of Volksturm squads rocking LMGs. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, we're not going to see Belgian squads running around with LMGs. Yeah, Finns. Um, conversely, and Finns is a good sticking point here, a yep. CC recon squad does not qualify. It can only take nine men. Yeah. It's got to be able to take ten of to max number. Yeah. Oh, by the way, so if you take the max number, but there are also, um, I think PD from the Juggernauts brought it up, that if you, oh, Sneaky's camera's frozen again, check it out. But crack. Oi, I didn't need to say that. I oh, know. Um, he's going to hate the fact that I brought that up. No, so <laughs> PD brought it up. There's, there's one of the, one of the, um, the selection you can take actually allows you to take um, scouts. So you can select your, you know, NCO plus, you know, um, twelve riflemen or whatever it is. But then in the, in the drop down menu down the bottom, you can also add scouts. You need to add all those guys as well. It is you need to take the maximum number of warm bodies that you can take in that squad. Mm, Makes sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the reward people. Yeah. It's a it's a cost reward trade off. Mm. So full strength squads are not something we normally see. Usually when we see players asking, you know, oh, what's the squad size I should punch for? Well, maximum number inexperienced, between 10 and 8 regular, between 6 to 8 veteran. Hopefully this time around we see more full-strength squads. Yeah. Yeah. Next on the list. What have we got? We have Piats, Bazookas, and Panzerschracks. I love this. This is so Now, there's been a lot of debate, or at least I've seen a lot of debate over the years about these how units firing. How many, shot- how, many, how, yeah, how many shots they can make? So we're now allowing every single Panzerschreck, Piat, and Bazooka to fire 12 shots per, 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 you throw 
12, no. <laughs> it's now an automatic fucking bazooka. Yeah, but you know somewhere out there someone has just gone, yeah, but what if? Yeah, I know. Someone's got uh, just a mental image of a rapid-firing bazooka jig now, and that's thanks to you, Tristan. No, I don't, no I'll take it. No, no, I'll, I'll take that. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. So now when these units fire against uh, buildings, or units mm. against buildings, sorry, they inflict a one-inch HE template. Now, this is not- purely when they're fired against units in buildings. It's too... It's an attempt to simulate the effect of a shape-charged warhead detonating in a confined space. Anybody who has seen Band of Brothers has seen the Carantan episode where they shoot a bazooka into the side of a building to yep. make a door. That's kind of yep. what this is. This is this is kind of what this simulates. At the end of the day, if you see, it also gives your Panzer Shrek bazooka and piats a little bit something a little bit extra to do because if you go up against a list that's got like you know no vehicles, you're gonna be like, well, this guy's running around doing nothing. He can actually do something now. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so that's kind of what we're aiming for with that. Um, yeah. To be perfectly honest, I think it's a well-needed buff for PRs. Yeah. They're a bad joke to begin with. Oh, my God, aren't they? <laughs> um, we're not We're not inferring this uh, buff to Panzerfausts um, no. for the simple reason of uh, it's the best five points you can spend in the entire game. It's already good enough. Fucking yeah. suck it up. You don't need don't, extras. Yeah, Panzerfausts don't need a buff. Um, no. They're a five-point can opener, and anyone who complains about the cost or the effectiveness. Sorry, but you're wrong. Yeah. No, it's fucking, they're, they're, they're brilliant for what they do. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, next. there are two other changes we've made, both yep. of which relate to vehicles. Yep. So we'll get the first ugly one out of the way because I know it's going to incite some rage, but why not? Soft skin vehicles. Mm-hmm. Now, these vehicles are not accurately simulated in bolt action. Not, There's no two not, ways not, not in V1, not in V2. No, there's no two ways about that. Mm. Um, the prevalence that they see on the tabletop, it's purely because they are more cost-effective. I feel targeted. I feel you're triggering me. You're fucking targeting me unfairly. <laughs> the only lists that should actually be running multiple soft skins are LRDG and Auto Sahariana. Yep. Plain and simple. But in an, effect, in an attempt to combat this, I guess you could say, We've introduced a ruling that soft skin vehicles, if they receive damage from any weapon with a penetration value, be it high explosive or armor piercing, they're destroyed on a two plus. Yep. There's no now, rolling on the damage chart. They're just gone. So in that regard, if they are shot at with small arms fire, they will still be rolling on the damage chart. Yeah, you're rolling the damage chart. That is not going away. You yep. still have that durability against rifle fire, light machine gun yep. fire, and so on. Yep. But anything that has a penetration value... If all, the you way heavy, it, all the way from a heavy machine gun to a fucking bomb stick. Yep. On a 2+, plus, it's yeah, out of there. Yep. Now, our intent here is to increase the viability of armoured transports, in at least in the eyes of the Australian community. We want to see people make that conscious choice of, well, I could take a truck, but for a handful of points more, I can put in a half-track that's a lot more durable. But Hari, the problem with half-tracks is they just get pinned out. Well, this is true. However, wouldn't it be a terrible thing if someone actually took steps to combat that? It's like that car salesman meme where the guy just slaps the half-track. You can get so many pins in this fucking thing. I mean, what is it, that LBT that can take 30 blokes? Yeah, uh, that thing can fit the, so many the, pins the, into it. Or the Landwasser Schlepper. Ah, uh, the Landwasser Schlepper. 
I just don't get me wrong. I love the German language, but for Christ's sake, come up with new ideas of naming things. Stop ramming words together. I know. Franken wording is no basis for a language. Not that I can speak. I'm speaking English. That's a Franken language, if ever there was one. It's true. So, <sighs> open-topped armoured vehicles. Anything with an armour value of seven or higher. You are now changing the way you take pins for this event. Yeah. So. This is actually in hit, line with the way, this is actually in line with the way that uh, the .NET Alliance, um, yeah, we, 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 we've done this before. V1, we did this in the, uh, the, the .NET format. So, Hari, mm. what is it? So, if an open-topped vehicle with an armor value of 7 plus or higher takes a pin from small arms fire, the pinning mechanic now changes to the following. If the vehicle is rated inexperienced, it always takes the pin. If it is regular, it will ignore the pin on a D6 roll of a 4 plus. If it's veteran, it ignores the pin entirely. Lovely. (sighs) It gives you some more flexibility. It means you have to be less paranoid about being pinned. Yeah. But it doesn't render you entirely invulnerable. So yep. if you get hit by anything from a HMG or higher, you're taking that pin. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. But if it's small arms, it's no longer the case that someone will jump out with an SMG, blap away, hit you, and slap a pin on you and the squad that's inside. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's, that's, that, that's like my, anytime I come across an armored transport, or anything open top, it's like, well, I can't kill you, but I can fucking pin the shit out of you. So yeah, absolutely. Here you go, have some pins, have some pins, have some pins, have some pins. So with that in mind, those five simple rule tweaks, we're hoping to promote a bit more variation in the list that we see. We want to see things that are different. We don't want to see the same recycled list that everyone's brought to every 1250 event in the last... Yeah. I'm not going to say in the last two years because it's been five-fifths of fuck all events happening. Yeah. You know, prior to CanCon... Prior to prior to CanCon, Jesus Christ, prior to COVID, every twelve fifty event, you would see people bringing the same lists. They might not necessarily have the same contents in terms of squad out loadouts, yeah, yeah. But you knew these were lists that people knew how to run. They were yeah. lists that people had tucked away because that was their tournament list. Yeah, well, twelve fifty twelve fifty lists are generally pretty flexible. Um, they allow you to take a you know a greater range of things, but you do actually see the same shit like popping up more often than not because everyone knows what the good shit is now. Yeah, and you know you may not have the most optimized twelve fifty list turning turning up to events, but I guarantee you that if I rock up with my twelve fifty list that involves three squads of Gevix, Jaeger, and a Panther, I know what I'm doing with that list. Indeed, I'm not selling it to Rubes. That's what I'm doing with that list. <laughs> Trigger him. I do have a platoon of Jorgenberg's Jaeger already. <laughs> yeah, but oh well. Like, they were the trial run. Now I'm getting better at them. Got me deep. So that's the those are the those are the rules changes that we're running for um, CanCon. Um, so the idea will be to you know we want to sort of you know change up the listing a little bit. Um, so far as we can tell, uh, it's been generally well accepted. Uh, a player's pack will be on its way to you, hopefully within the next three or four weeks. Um, we're playing five missions. Uh, there's going to be a kill points mission and four objective-based missions. Um, more on that later. I'm not. I'm still not convinced whether we're going to release um, what missions they are ahead of time. Um, yeah, I think. It, the thing is, anybody who knows me and knows how we play and how we run events and whatnot is going to know full well, um, you know, what we're, uh, you know, they, they should be able to sort of guess what, you know, we might be running. 
Um, but yeah, the idea is to kind of, you know, it, it's going to be a nice big sort of marquee tentpole event, lots of giveaways, lots of good stuff. Um, and yeah, we're going to make sure that everyone has a really good time. And by the time they sort of drive home, they're thinking, wow, that was, that was amazing. When's the next one? Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, as Tristan said earlier, we're not taking a stab at anyone who's run CanCon no, in previous years. Not at all. It's a fucking it's, 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 it's a heady task. It's it's yeah. Uh, it, it's just you know the amount of energy and organization and logistics involved is massive. And full respect to anyone who's run it in the past. Yeah. But we want to try something different, and yep. we want to. I guess in a way, we do want to leave our stamp on the event, mm. and. I mean, six months ago, Tristan said this to me as a joke. Hey, what if yeah. I run CanCon? Thanks. Be... I need to stop doing this because the last time I said, hey, wouldn't it be funny was the time that I said, wouldn't it be funny if, like, me, Sneaky, and Lockie went to BadgerCon and pulled first, second, third, and then, like, yeah, 48 hours later, we were driving home in the car going, well, that's fucking embarrassing. Yeah, just a bit. Mm. Um, hey, if you want to use those powers for good, just stand there for a few hours and just say, Hey, wouldn't it be crazy if someone did a 30-man plastic box of fins in summer uniforms? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Just keep doing that for about it, six weeks and see what happens. Be funny, wouldn't it be really funny if we got, like, version 3 for Christmas? Wouldn't that be really funny? Wouldn't that be amazing? No, I don't want that, actually. Well, I will soon. slap you. Yeah, I know. There you should really be a lot of want play. a new edition a month before we run the biggest event that we've ever taken on? No, because we, no, we would quite happily just say, no, we're running this V2. It's a V2 yeah. event. We're very sorry. No. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at at the moment. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, you can rest assured that if you do come to this, you're going to have fun. You're going to walk away with a shitload of good stuff. Um, it's, it's going to be a very, um, interesting event. Um, it is going to be, I'm not going to say that it's going to be geared towards competitive play, but we want you to come and, you know, sort of do your best. This is an event where. You know, we fully understand there are players out there who will come to CanCon purely just to catch up with mates and bring fluffy lists. And we want those people to come. Yeah, we absolutely. Want you are attend. more than welcome. Hell yeah. But at the same time, we also recognize that there are players who will want to put their best foot forward. Now, yep. do so, by all means, yep. but do so in the spirit of our community. Yeah, and that's what it comes down to, is the spirit of the Australian community. Now, for whatever reason, that... It has been made abundantly clear to everyone over the course of however long that that is a little bit different. But um, yeah, we're, we're putting our we're putting our best foot forward, and you know we're gonna we're gonna run this as best we can. So wish us luck. Watch this space. Mm. All right. So in the spirit of us running CanCon, I thought we'd run a little a uh, little segment. Um, I've been thinking about this for a little while now. Um, it actually came to me, I think, while I was laid up with COVID um, at the start of the year. You know, we've we've actually got like a bit of a list of, uh, you know, different topics, things that we'd like to discuss going forward. Um, Dave uh, on the Discord, in regards to special characters, because uh, he, yeah, not, not for any kind of competitive play. They just they, they they swing and change the game a little bit too much. That's my take on that. Um, sorry, that was a um, oh crap! I'll throw that out. Uh, that was uh, that was something that was sent to us via Discord, and I just thought I'd answer that. Okay, so we're going to do um, we're going to do a small um, segment: how to run a successful event. So this is our little sort of homebrew recipe for you know so how you go through from you know 
getting started to, you know, all the way to, you know, the very last thing you should do as a TO. So, um, Hari, you got the list there in front of you? Absolutely. Sweet. Kick it so, off. So, your first one, decide on your theme. What is, what is your event? Is it a purely competitive streamed event? Is it a purely fluffy event? Is it somewhere that's in that middle ground between the two? Is it a campaign day? Yeah. As a TO, you have that responsibility to decide what that event is going to be because at the end of the day, your decision will influence the greater result. Mm. Now, if you go into that with a muddled concept of what the event should be, your players are going to walk away with muddled feelings. But if you go into that event with a clear a clear decision that this is going to be a themed event, it's going to be fun, people are going to have fun, people are going to have fun. Yep. That's, I, you, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly right. Is you, you have to go in there with a clear indication you know, of, of what you're trying to achieve. Now, within that, you need to decide points value. Now, points value, like there's, it, it can kind of go, what I mean, we, we generally see the big three, the 750,000, 1250. We're now starting to see odd, small, little, um, you know, kind of you know, different, different little odd points values, which I, I really enjoy. Um, but, I mean, it's, 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 the old, it's the old adage, keep it simple, stupid, just, you mm. know, if, if, if you're just starting out, if there's something you're going to do for the first time, I would recommend 750 to 1,000. You then need to work out what, you know, are you going to allow theater selectors? Are you going to allow armor platoons? You know, for Christ's sake, and this is, a, this, is a, this is me begging you, don't, be, don't entertain the idea of putting dice caps on. It, it's not required. Yeah. Be, as long as you are aware of what your, what your players can do and what they can achieve with mm. their list, Dice caps are not required. If you have a brand new player who wants to roll with a 25 order dice Russian list, you need to sit your player down and say, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah. For X, Y, and Z. Or at least make sure that there is enough time distance between them submitting that list, the event yep. occurring, that they can actually get some games in. Yeah, absolutely. And if necessary, come back to you and say, okay, I've played five games with this list. And I want to. I want to add, ran, and yeah, I wanna never, add five order dice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, or I've played five games. I've never run to time in those games. Can I please resubmit my list with a lower dice yeah, count? At which, at which point you can say yes. Yeah, and that's yeah, the only answer you can give. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what you want to be doing. That's that's the first thing you need to do, and that's all very cerebral. That's something you can do. Sit down at your dining room table or at your hobby desk with a you know an A4 notepad and a pen. And you know, crack a beer open, and you can have that sorted out in about twenty minutes. Um, I'm pretty lucky that I've got people like Sneaky Cheese and Rubes and Hari that I can bounce ideas off. Hey, I'm thinking about running this. What do you think? Oh, hey, you know, what? Well, what do you reckon this is an interesting thing to do? And normally, you know, these three guys are pretty fucking solid when it comes to giving me advice or giving me feedback on what they think will work or what they think is like. Nah, it's a, you probably you probably missing the mark a bit there. Needs more IS threes. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> well, and that, that's that's a really interesting uh, thing that you would raise because you know uh, I'm I'm looking at running my my first event uh, soon, which will, will just be a very simple, um, probably a club only, just uh, one day thing. But you have that question about um, how confident are all your players with the rules, mm. right? So when mm. when you have uh, your, your people who are coming are veterans of coming to multiple events 
Yeah, cool. As a TO, you're not having to be there adjudicating rules questions so much. If you have a bunch of people who, yeah, they've played a couple of games of Bolt Action, they have a a list that, that, yeah, they can use, but it's not their main game. How do you address that? What do you, what, you know, uh, that, that's a whole other kind of question. It is, it, it's one of those things, but I guess, I guess what it comes down to is if you do have very new players coming in and maybe they're not all that confident with their, with their rules, the idea is that you try and artificially construct it so that their first game is against somebody who is at least, um, you know, has a bit of experience under their belt. So their first game is more of a learning experience than, say, somebody who's just going to come along, you know, kick their dick up out of the top of their head and push them over in the mud and run off to the next game. Is the idea is you give them to a mature player who's going to run them through their first game and really help them out. That would be that would be how I would handle that. I, I think so too, and I, I, it mm. seems to be a, a, a common factor about um, how how we've done this with other systems. Uh, within the club is that we might have A and B division that, you know, if we have a couple of players that are at the pointy end, that's great. You got, you guys, we're not putting you into the Swiss draw with somebody that that's a, this is their first radio. Exactly right. Mm. That's not going to be fun for anyone. The, no, absolutely not. It's not going to have a good game. The new players, well, they they might have a good game if it's taught as a, teaching experience. Exactly but, right, yeah. yeah. And that's fine if you're into it. You know, I, I've actually quite enjoyed um, refing games for, for people who are just learning. Mm. Look, yeah, no, I'm that not, is, is genuinely rewarding. I'm just hanging around by the side of the table. Yep, yep. Um, yep. No, I, I mean, yeah. I've been on the other side of the table when that's happened. Um, years ago, I played a bolt action event on the Gold Coast. Third round, I came up against a player who was – this was his first ever time playing bolt action. The two games previously, he'd been stomped into a mud puddle. I could see that he was not having any fun. He'd been given a list that he didn't know how to use. It was a Japanese list. He had no idea of what was actually how it was meant to work. He was just kind of moving things. And I tried to give him, you know, advice, maybe, you know, maybe you want to put this, move this unit over here so that, you know, it's taking less fire and so on. By that stage, he was in no position whatsoever to be receptive to advice. And, you know, I proceeded to stomp him into... It's not a nice feeling to just... No, it's horrible. I proceeded to stomp him into a mud puddle, and part of that was just getting lucky with dice on a Nebelwerfer. That's dice. That, you know... Can't help that. But it was one of those things where I walked away from it feeling like shit because I knew that he would never play Bolt Action again. And I've never seen the guy at another event again. And, you know, it is that thing where TOs have to be very conscious of who is coming in and from what backgrounds they come in mm-hmm. and, you know, take steps to mitigate any potential loss of players in a sense. Yeah. And, and th- this thing that I'm, I'm sort of looking at is, is curious like that because, I mean, we, we have a core group of, I don't know, maybe five or six of us that, uh, play bolt action at at the club, and then there's a lot of other people who have armies that are built for uh, chain of command or mm. whatever. They're, they're familiar enough with the rules that they'll they'll get with the program pretty quick. But you want to emphasize the uh, fun aspect of it. Absolutely, just a, 
Uh, and this, Tristan, is some of the, the feedback that we got from that one that uh, Lockie ran at League of Ancients in, in our old... Uh, yeah, Tivoli. Tivoli. You know, a bunch of people came up to me afterwards and said, we want you to do that again because that wasn't heavy duty. That was just fun and it was a good learning experience about mm. how to play the game. Yeah, it's um, a good game. To, it's 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 The game also um, it lends itself to some really, really unique teaching opportunities and it's genuinely fun watching people succeed, um, you know, getting that assault off, popping that vehicle. You know, it's it, it it just it's very because it's very Hollywood and very animated. It's it's a great game to mm. teach upon. But we're getting off topic, so I'm going to drag us back. Um, good 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 rabbit hole though. That was a very good rabbit hole. Um, so the next thing you need to do, as far as uh, running your event is concerned, is to determine where your venue is going to be. Now that can be determined by a number of factors. Um, I can speak from experience that uh, in regards to the Melbourne scene, if you want to if you want to run a successful event. The closer you run it to the Melbourne CBD, the more successful the event will be. Um, it's a little bit depressing, um, but people have to travel. And it's a little bit, um, it's one of those things that like it's, it's the, the further I get away from the CBD, the more difficult it is for people to be able to access that. Um, Melbourne's got a pretty shitty public transport system. But um, it, it yeah. Has a, it, it has a, the transport system here. It's the spokes of the wheel, right? Yes, Everything yes, runs yes. In the middle. So I, I've looked at, you know, um, many examples of where do I need to go, and I actually need to go much further into the city. Yep. And yep. much further back out again because yeah, the whole, that's the shit thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it it is very very hard uh, if you're doing it on uh, Shanks Pony or on public transport. Um, the further out that you get. But then the other problem that you have is uh, the closer into the city that you go, parking becomes an absolute pain in the ass. Yeah, well, that's – and that's kind of – and the other thing is, like, setting up for an event, getting your terrain there. Like, the number of times we run events in the city and you've got to, like, kind of, you know, park up outside the venue, three people get out of the car, you unload all the terrain onto the footpath, and then someone's got to, like, shoot off quickly before you create a traffic jam, and it's – Whereas, you know, you don't have that at House of War because I can pull up on a Friday night, unload all the crap into the front door, you know, park around the corner, and then, you know, I can take all my shit up and set myself up. And it's it's kind of one of those things. It's it's just it's finding that venue, that sweet spot. Um, right now we're looking for a new permanent venue for, you know, to play bolt action in Melbourne. I know that Brad's keeping his ear to the ground. Your, your middle, middle ring... Suburbs like the the absolute inner city has all of those difficulties that you you say that yeah. there's no parking, there's no standing or whatever. You go one step out, and then yep. you're in uh, Elsinwick, Brunswick, um, Fort. The problem, yeah, I, I love where you're at. The problem with those venues, and I know this for a fact because Robin and I have been trying to find one, is the cost of hiring that venue becomes quite high it's no good hiring a venue where the cost of the venue is going to cost you you know you've got to be able to have enough money left over from the entry that your players you know say that you get 20 people come along and everyone pays their 20 or 30 bucks you've got to have enough money left over after you've hired the building to go and get prize support now it's no good you know if everything that every like all your players pay you all that money and then everything goes to the building you've got nothing left you know to buy prizes with you're then running your event at a loss which you shouldn't do you should break even 
If you can break even on an event or, you know, it costs you 20 or 30 bucks, whatevs. But you should never be, you know, out of pocket hundreds and hundreds of dollars just to run an event. That's not the way this works. No, no, no. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Robin and I have been looking at a number of different venues, but the pain in the bum is that, you know, oh, yeah, no worries. We can look after you. You know, we're looking at about four to 500 bucks for the day. And it's, it's quite high. It doesn't sound very high, but it really is because by the time you get all your people in, yeah, if you go and run an event that's got, you know, sort of 30, 40, 50 people, that's not so bad. But Melbourne Bowls action, we genuinely, we, we generally sort of, about 20 is kind of where we're at. That's the sweet spot. Now, I can go out to Blackburn, which is about 30 minutes out of the city on a train, and I can get a venue there, a very nice venue, for 50 bucks for the entire day. That's bloody fantastic because I've then got money I can put a lunch on, I can buy prize support, I can do all this other crazy shit, but I'm not going to have as many people show up because it's in Blackburn. So you've yeah. got this balancing act to kind of to, to perform in regards to selecting your venue. It's like what the, what the, all the things that I've just explained are Melbourne-centric issues. They may not be issues where you're from, but the idea would be to find a gaming club, lock in with those guys and see if you can run something through them. That would be the way to do it. Well, the, the, the one thing I would add about the, the club system that is tricky, uh, and, and I've noticed this because I'm, I'm dealing with this right now, is that um, that space that they have may host seven, eight, ten tables, so yeah. uh, 20 players, but they will say, um, yeah, cool, but we want um, members first. Yeah, that is, that's, that's a thing, and that's fine. Yep, and so they'll say, cool, well, you know, because this is our club infrastructure um, yeah. and whatever. So so it will tend to, to swing towards um, a club recruitment sort of thing, which which is great because I think fine. should should join these clubs. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Like if you, if, if you find yourself in a position where you're mm-hmm. running it through a club and they say, look, we want the first 10 spots to go to our club members, brilliant. Those are 10 people I don't have to find to come to my event. You know, you can then say, by the way, guys, we're running this event. There's only 10 spots left. Get in while you can. Yep. And that way, if, you know, sort of all of a sudden, you know, 12, 13, 14 people put their hand up, you can then go back to the club and say, hey, listen, you know, we might just squeeze a couple more tables in. It's getting big. That's a good thing. That's a problem you want. Yeah, anyway, it's, so a, that's, it's a good problem to have. And it yeah, is. another thing with, with that also is that, um, you know, there are probably a lot more clubs out there that are – um, little scene are not members of that really they should be considering yeah, going along I agree. Mm. I agree. I agree. All right, so step three, book in your day. So to have liaise with the venue. Um, be very clear about what you want out of the venue. If you need doors open by 8.30, that's something you're going to have to negotiate for. So anytime I run events at House of War, I have a deal going with Galen, who is the guy who is opens up for me in the morning is Galen doesn't like getting up, but it doesn't like waking up at the time that I need him to wake up at. But I'll make sure that every time he does wake up and let me in, I've got a nice hot coffee waiting for him. So it's like, yeah, have a good relationship with the place that you're that you're you're running your game and that's a good start. You then need to start reaching out to shops, organizations, clubs, businesses for prize support. You need to sort of, you know, look after the people who look after you. So if you've got a local gaming store that looks after you, they're the people to ask but then also offer them something in return. Hey, listen, we'll make sure you get prominent, um, you know, your, your, your business name gets prominent uh, place on all of our um, uh, media releases. 
leading up to the event. You know, we'll talk about this. We'll do posts. We'll do, you know, things on the socials, yada, yada, yada. You have to sell the idea that it's good for them to do this. And, you know, most of the time it is because you're trying to sort of promote your event and you're trying to promote your event then using their, you know, sort of product. Most places are more than happy to help out. The idea is, though, if you go and run sort of four or five events over the course of the year, don't hit the same people every single time. Mix it up. You know, go to, you know, you go to person, unless person X is happy to, you know, sort of look after you all the time, don't always be there, you know, with your hand out because at some stage they're just going to go, no, this is, no. Yeah. Can't you buy some stuff? All right. I'm going to run through this quick. So step four, this is the most important step in the entire process. <laughs> Hari, what's this step? Step four, write your player's pack and check it for mistakes. Ironically, oh, that point has a, has a spelling mistake. What? It says write you player's pack. Oh, get stuffed. God, preemptive text bullshit. All right, well done. <laughs> All right, what's, what's step five? This is poignant now. Step five is repeat the last part of step four at least another two times. Yeah. Someone's done so right. their due diligence. Yeah, exactly right. So, <laughs> right. So the question here is what goes wrong when this isn't done right? People Let's show up to an event expecting one thing when it's actually something else. The realm of possible disasters that go wrong when you have a poorly written or poorly uh, proofread players pack. You get anything from draw problems, score problems, uh, door problems, you name it. It can go wrong. The key thing is to, when you write a players pack, never trust your own eyes. No. Write it, then find... And then send it to Hari. Everybody on the internet listening to this, send your players packs to Hari for proofreading. Oh, God. Hari okay. will proofread if you're listening all to of this them. in Barcelona Belgium. and you send me a players pack, please make sure it's in English because I don't know no, how no, Hari speaks, Hari speaks. Hari speaks all languages. It's fine. <laughs> you can send him a players pack in Norwegian, Finnish. Um, I Inuit. speak the universal language of bolt action. That's it. Um, but universal find language two of or bullshit, three maybe. people that you know and trust and yep. flick it to them and say, hey, I've written this player's pack. Can you read through it, find any mistakes, and be brutally honest? When you're writing a player's pack, you're running an event. This event isn't for you. So take any ego that you have attached to the player's pack, throw it out the window. Yeah. Because what you want is the most honest feedback you can possibly get. And if that means someone reading your player's pack, coming back to you and saying, hey, were you drunk when you wrote this? No, why? Because it's a piece of shit. Yeah, take it on the chin. Yeah, every time. Anytime I'm writing something like this, the first person I normally go to is Topher from the Juggernauts. Um, if I've got an idea, a concept, a player's pack, something, anything that I've got, I will normally take it to Toe first and say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about doing this. You think it's a good idea or am I, am I fucking baked out of my skull? And he's very, very honest at saying, oh, yeah, sounds all right, or eh, probably not. Mm. Well, you need I, to find your... That's the, a, a usual thing. Like I, I, I used to be involved in writing technical documents for, mm. for many years, and... Uh, some of the concepts involved in that are absol- absolutely applicable to this. Uh, version control is a really good one about, you know, it goes through multiple different drafts. You edit yeah. it multiple times. Have you made sure that what you have saved is not an older draft? Oh, version? yeah. You know? Um, done that before. All of these, so, these things about the, the language that you use, 
you know what you mean. That's Does exactly right. anyone else know what you mean? That's, I was going to make the same point. I was going to say exactly that. You know what your intention is. The idea is you need to construct your player pack to let your players know what your intention is. Um, I know full well, and this is not, I'm not having a crack, but Andy Baxter had to field some very, very, uh, not interesting questions, but he had to field a lot of questions in regards to his event because he didn't do a player's pack. So people were very unsure about what it was that Andrew was trying to achieve. So there ended up being this big group chat. He got asked a whole bunch of questions that it was just like, none of this would have been asked had you just released a player's pack. Mm -hmm. And like I said, not having a crack. I'm very happy that you ran an event. I didn't have to run it, so I was fucking thrilled. But yeah, that's the other make thing. Sure you, no, no, I was just going to say, make sure your players' pack is airtight. And if you need to take that to somebody who's a bit of a see you next Tuesday to get their honest opinion about it, then you need to take that on the chin and go, "All right, no worries. This is this is. I need to fix this." Yeah, because the, the other thing, thing that, we, that people do is to try and break the rule system. Oh yeah, that's, that's why I speak to Tofa. Stress test the, yeah. the uh, right. So if you go to somebody that you know is a bit of a cheese lord, um, sneaky or otherwise, um, <laughs> what would be the worst thing that you could bring to this that is technically allowable under these rules? Yeah, and go give give me your worst case scenario. Mm. Stress test it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Are I was kind of say? I was going to kind of make the same point in that when you pitch it to your review group. Make sure you've got players from different streams there. Oh, if yeah. you've got a player who is entirely competitive, but you've also got three other players that are entirely competitive, you're going to get the same feedback. Yeah. If you've got three players that are all fluffy players, but you've got a competitive players pack, well, they're naturally going to look at that in a negative light. Yeah. But if you've got a player from each stream or several players from each stream, then you're going to get balanced feedback. You're going to be able to see, okay, what's competitive viewpoint? what is a themed viewpoint and what's middle of the road. Exactly. And from there, you will be able to tell your approach based on what kind of event you're punching for. Yeah. See, when Tristan pitches anything to either of us three, I know that if he's looking for competitive advice, he's probably going to go to JL because JL is a very strong competitive player. If he's looking for purely flop... Well, I mean, not in the sense that you're a cheese lord, but in the sense that... When you go to an event, you will do well. Yeah, and that's because right. you have you have a, yeah, yeah. Anyway. you have a strong you have a strong grounding in the mechanics of the system and what to do with it. Now, if he's looking for a more historical, fluffy approach, he's probably going to go to Rubes because Rubes knows a lot more systems that are less competitively geared than Bolt Action, and he also has that grounding in the historical drive behind it. I mean, story you are the first, only baby story first. Yeah. You are the only player I know of who's done a one-to-one German platoon. Like yeah. that's insane. And you know, that's, if he's looking... that's rubes. Yeah, this is true. Uh, one of my best customers, by the way, um... <laughs> my kids from college. <laughs> what kids. Yeah. And if he's, you know, if he's looking for something that's somewhere between those two, he's probably going to come to me. That is the way we work, and that is the strength of the bacon burgers, that we can look at a, the same document and have very different responses yeah, to three, it. Yeah, four different opinions about it. It's 100% mm. correct. The idea I is, yeah, get it. was combined. I am Captain <laughs> Bacon Burger. Yeah, Captain Bolt action. 
What would be the five parts of that? Cheese. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Patty. I'll figure that out later. That's well. That's Cheese, that's the intro. Patty, that's bun. No, sauce. it's not that. No, no. no I'll look. Cheese, me, Jesus, no, that's that's going to be that's going to be the intro to the next episode. So I'm going to fucking I'm going to mock up the the uh, Captain Planet fucking theme song. Um, all right, so um, that is like, getting your players pack right is uh, 100% the most important thing you can do in regards to getting your event off the ground. Now become now comes the second most important thing. Step six: release your players pack and start promoting your event. I'm going to re- I'm going to repeat that: release your players pack and start promoting your event. It's no good putting a post up for an event that's going to happen in six to eight weeks and then just leaving it. You need to be on there. About twice a week, reminding people, keeping people interested, keeping people engaged. Promotion should run for at least six weeks and should always include shout-outs and inclusions of people who have helped you. Talk up the people who have donated stuff, the people who have given you stuff, the people who have lent you tables. Give those people a big shout-out. They're they're people that are, are trying to help you achieve something good. Try and include photos of new terrain you're working on for the event to get your players excited. Try and engage your player base in friendly banter and get people sharing their hobby. All of these things are really important to making sure that you get a good turnout on the day. And if you have to reach out to podcasts to say, hey, listen, I'm running this event. Can you, know, can you promote it? I'm, I'm not entirely certain I know of a podcast who wouldn't help you in regards to bolt action. Look, Everybody. The other thing I, I would say about that, and and you've touched on that as well, is um, multiple channels of, uh, of of points and influence. Right. Um, we we tend to have a bit of a Facebook centric um, um, viewpoint. Yeah. There's a whole whole lot of people who just for for probably very good reasons went no fuck Facebook that. The, you know, toxic environment. I did that for a long time. I did that for I, I quit yeah, Facebook did, for like yeah. a year or two. Yeah. Um. And then and then I came back into the hobby, and I'm like, I can't be in this hobby without being a Facebook. It's a pain in the yeah. ass. So what we we get into that thing that question from that about the the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns, right? So we don't know how many people there are that are playing at home with their with their mates or whatever that. Because they're not invested in Facebook, mm. Mm. Um, so we sh- probably should be touching other channels there. Just, so, just uh, on that, I, I would love for someone to do an old-time radio ad for a bolt action <laughs> tournament. Hey, you crazy kids! Come down to House of War this weekend and play some bolt action. You'll have good times and great fun with good people and rolling dice, pushing soldiers around and blowing up panthers. Hey, you salty crowd, come back here. I've got a tough fighter with your name on it. Is that what you're talking about? Bolt action. Captain Captain Bolt action. (laughs) Captain Bolt action. Are we touching Instagram? Are we touching Reddit? Are we... That's Are we true. Old school about just going and sticking up a flyer in the uh, local I, I, game shop. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna say, "Are we going? Are we going old school and going finally like?" There's Bolt Action got a MySpace page <laughs> or yeah. a live journal. <laughs> All right, you are 100% correct, Sneaky, is that, yeah, um, the idea is to promote your event, look at any and all avenues, but get your players engaged. 
and continue to get them engaged and get them excited and get them looking forward to the event. So by the time it you know comes along, people are kind of, you know, oh, I can't wait to catch up with that guy. I've, I've been seeing his stuff on the socials and I've been seeing what he's been, I can't wait to see that in the flesh. You know, that's the kind of, yeah, that's the, and that, it's a really important part of the hobby. Um, yeah, do that, promote, okay? Players pack and promotion are the two most important things that you can do to make your event as successful as it can be. Yeah, you have to book them, and they will come. Yeah. Well, you can try and get them to come. It depends on how far away from the city you are. Anyway, moving on. Step seven, set up and get ready. So that just involves getting all your terrain centralized, getting all your score sheets sorted out, deciding on a score system before the event. Absolutely. Now, in my opinion, and it's only my opinion, the score system that we've been using for years is the best. You offer 15 points for a win, 10 points for a draw, 5 points for a loss, and you then have 5 secondary objectives for a possible score out of 20. That's it. The 5 secondary objectives are, did you kill your enemy's officer? Did you keep your officer alive? Did you kill your enemy's most expensive unit? Did you keep your most expensive unit alive? And thank you very much, Brad and Lee. Um, they've uh, re-engineered the, the fifth. Uh, it used to be, did you get into your enemy's deployment zone? They've actually got it now. Do you have a miniature in each table quarter? You're sort of getting that board domination thing going on. And I, I like that. I think it's a good fit. I think it's a good secondary objective i think that's that that those five very good happy days mm. i mean they're all secondary objectives that reward tactical play yes 100%. and that's absolutely the way it should be so yeah have your score sheets set up make sure they're easy make sure that they you know make sure you have enough pens make sure that you have like all the things that you're going to need to run that event on the day now if you're going to write everything down on a bit of paper and just run tally scores like that Brilliant. You knock yourself out. If you can be, you know, if you can get a laptop to make it a bit easier on yourself, do that. Do whatever it takes to make it quick, easy, and efficient. The idea is that you're meant to kind of just know how this is going to run and just run it. The other thing I would say also is brush up on your rules. Anything you're yeah. a little bit, a little bit hazy on, because you know, a couple. I mean, we don't know. You know, not all of us know everything. Um, it's as simple as that. All right, step eight. Just before you go, go on, sorry. The, other, the other thing with that too is have it sorted before the day, especially with terrain and tables. Know your table layouts. Um, yeah. Ideally, uh, if you can, pack them in individual boxes or tubs, yep. uh, each yep. one tub per table. Do a dry run. Set up a table. Uh, you know, maybe it might be your own kitchen table. Set up a table. Make sure you get like the look of it. And then when you work out how many tables you need for your event, Aim to have one extra table. Oh yeah, on top Always. of that, in case of damage to terrain or um, you forget something at home or whatever, you've got a backup table. Or or you have day, or, or you have somebody who just rocks up on the day and says, "Oh, what's this? Can I play?" Exactly. Mm. Um, it allow you the flexibility to set up an extra table um, and allow for unforeseen circumstances that may yep. require you having to scrap one of your tables on the day. Um, Agreed. Agreed. So you might set up and what you thought was great at home. A couple of players yep. all look at it and go, whoa, that really isn't player friendly um, and you might need to change one out on the fly. Yeah. Here's a question that I'd like to, to float on, on that topic, which, which I think is uh, relevant then. How do you do that? 
um, when, you know, as a TO, do we expect that you will bring all the terrain or do you say to your players, bring a table with you on the no, day? No, see, see I'll tell, I'll, 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 as a TO, I think you should supply at least one or two tables, ideally. Oh, yeah, at least one or two. I, I, can, I can do I, – I looked at mine and I can do four. Right, but can't do. But um, if if you're going to do community source tables again, do it well in advance, and have uh, the clubs or the players that are going to supply tables set up a table, send you a photograph of it, particularly from a couple different angles. Ideally, maybe from at least each player's side, and so you know what you're dealing with. It's going to suit the um, the missions you've got to run on the day. Um, and it's not going to be um, something that hampers play, like a over-dense jungle table or the Stalingrad table, which look fantastic but might not be uh, great for timed play. Which mm. That way you can look at those photos and, and say, look, hey guys, really appreciate you offering up some train, but that table's just not going to suit uh, my event. Um, do you have another one perhaps? or is well, see what you're... What you guys are talking about, it harks back to step three, which is uh, booking your day and start reaching out to shops, organisations, clubs for price support. In there should also be reach out to people for price support should you require, uh, not price support, terrain should you require it. Now, Hari and I are currently going through this at the moment. Um, Hari and I need to find somewhere between 40 and 50 tables to be able to run CanCon next year. Now, I'm telling you right now, I've got, I can probably do eight and that's if I go and build another two tables this year, which I have every intention of doing. We're having to reach out to all corners, you know, basically from the north to the south of the west of the um, the east coast of Australia. We're we're tapping everybody at this stage, and it's going to be it's going to be a big community driven sort of endeavour. Now, if that's what we need to do to make sure that every table at CanCon is an absolute banger, brilliant, good. And if you're having to ask people within your community to help out with, a, with you know, with you know, furnishing you with a bit of good terrain, brilliant, good. That's what that's what should be happening. Like you know, um, as a TO, yeah, you should be able to provide you know as many as you can. Um, but you know that depends on the TO. If you're the kind of TO where you know you live in a one bedroom flat and you know you haven't got the space for it, well, it is what it is. The idea is that you know you reach out to your local, you know your mates, friends, you know somebody knows somebody who might have a couple of tables at the back or something. Make it work. That like, I mean, mm. the idea of having like absolutely fucking banging terrain. If 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 you want to have amazing terrain for every event, go and run all your events down in Tasmania. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Um. I mean, sometimes sometimes. Thing... If you... Sorry, go. No, no. The other thing I was going to say. And it does hark back to, you know, lining up your venue. If you're running a venue at an event, if you're running an event at a venue that is not local to you, for example, I'm running Operation Sandstorm at the Australian Armour and Artillery Museum. Not exactly close to you. No, not even in the same neck of the woods, not even in the same state. Um, Make sure that you are always in communication at least once a week with that venue. Yep. Make sure that there is always a discussion being had regarding terrain, tables, player count, yep. so, you know, tickets purchased, all that stuff. If you keep that communication stream open, the event runs. Yeah. If at any point that communication breaks down, forget it. You are not going to run a successful event. That is a quantifiable uh, fact. Yeah, I agree. 
And I think the other the other thing to to uh, factor into that as well is if you are relying on uh, community supplied uh, terrain, um, yeah, real life happens to to people. They mm. may not be able to come on the Absolutely. day. Absolutely. If, yeah. if they're not there on the day and there are players there waiting to play and there is not a table for them, you're in fucking trouble. Like, yeah. yeah, it's not a good spot to be in. That's no, not a good and, spot to be in you at know, all. There's also that acknowledgement that in as much as real life happens, it's not just for terrain. Real life affects all aspects of things. Now, personally, I would have loved to have had my rifle brigade done months ago. However... The universe decided to dump two natural disasters on my local area. So that kind of put everything on a back burner. It's, you know, there are things that you can account for and there are things that you can't, but in terms of the ones you can account for, get your ducks in a row. Yeah. Make it's sure all about, you, it's, it's about organization. Put in, yeah. The better the end result is. I now, agree. if Tristan and I were going to be cavalier about CanCon, we could push all this prep work six months down the line. Yeah, no, we're not doing that. But that would absolutely screw us come January. Yeah. The now, idea the is yeah. now, yeah. we're going to be in a much stronger position in October. Oh, yeah. And an even stronger position in December. Dude, so by, by the time, time, by, by the time November rolls around, yeah, by the time November rolls around, I want to be like literally just housekeeping. Yeah. Like everything's here. It's all sorted. It's all good. I've just got to show up on the day and have it sorted. And that way I don't spend most of December and January freaking out because, you know, this isn't organized or this hasn't been sorted out. Well, calling me and then hanging up, or me hanging up in five seconds because I'm in the middle of work and you know retail goes nuts. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, and and this is it. If you are running an event with somebody, um, you know, don't take it to the degree that I fucking take it to. Like, I'm my my brain is fucking my brain works in horrible ways when I'm having to arrange shit like this. Hari and I at this stage are talking at least twice a day. Now, that's not always about CanCon. Sometimes it is about just, you know, a useless and name bullshit because I'm driving around bored. But we still do talk about CanCon most days about, all right, have you spoken to this person? All right, this person got back to me. All right, this is what's going on. And we keep a track of it. Hari's got spreadsheets upon spreadsheets that we're already using to keep track of everything. So, Spoiler alert, it's just one spreadsheet. <laughs> with a lot of tabs. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> all right, so step eight. Quick, quick, quick! Last one about about this uh, that I think is actually important as well. Is there something to eat? Can you get a glass of water? Mm, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Facilities is make sure that yeah, you're um. And look, I mean, like I've run events in the past where what I've done is I've said to my players, all right, if you wanna, if you would like for an extra, I think it was like five or ten bucks, I had like a whole barbecue lunch sorted. And while you guys were finishing up game one, I was at the back of the bowls club and I was, remember that barbecue I did at the, um, yeah, that was a good one actually. Yeah. And everybody walked out and everyone had a massive feed and we were buying drinks at like bar prices and they were, they were amazing. It was a really good event. The pain in the ass is I can't get us back in there. It's a fucking nightmare. Anyway. So step eight, this is a pretty important one. Step eight is just entitled run the fucking thing. Be there on time. Be there with, you know, a, a, a sunny disposition. Welcome your players. Make sure that, you know, you have very clear indications about what time they need to be there. Get your registration sorted. Pull them all in. Give them the brief. Right, go. Yeah. And then as soon as they are rolling dice, the biggest thing is don't just sit there on your fucking phone, which you shouldn't do anyway because they'll be calling you over for a rules discreet. You know, walk around. Get photos. 
have a little chat with your place. You know, if somebody's looks like they're having a bit of a hard time, be that a sort of, you know, hey, what's going on? You all right? Now nah, you'll be fine. Come on. You know, keep just, ah, there you go. Just move around. Keep an eye on things, but get photos. Get photos, get photos, get photos. Because otherwise, like, if, like, I'm shocking when I'm playing for getting photos. Like, I mean, I said this to Sneaky. I'm like, oh, we should, you know, while we're playing, we should get photos. I think I've got like three photos from our game, Sneaky, and they're all shit because you just forget. You get so into it. But yeah, like, bro, this is something about that. But um... yeah, but this is an area where Brad excels. Brad is amazing at the uh, uh, producing content when it comes to his events. Every single like every like you know, but I think every day that we had that we were running that he was running um, uh, conquest, you know. Big old photo with this big mug in there and then a huge photo dump of tables, armies, mm. this, that, and the other. It's constant. It lets people see what's going on. And you need to be the same. Get photos of what's happening. I mean, so, Akhtar down in Tassie is another one who's great at that. He's when fantastic. we were down there for Sublict, yep. we yep. got a photo dump of the tables the night before the event. Yep. Then while we were playing, he was walking around with that SLR, taking yep. as many photos as he could, Yep. you know, the photos are fantastic quality. Now, if you don't have access to an SLR, you can still get by with your mobile phone. That's not a problem. At the end of the day, content from events is content from events. And lower quality content is better than no content. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And, you know, as Your Tristan said. Your will thank you for it. Absolutely. And like Tristan said, you know, on the day, you know your own personal routine. Now, if you're someone like me who doesn't actually switch on until two hours after you've woken up, yeah. make that allowance. Make sure that you actually get up and get something into your system that kickstarts it so you can then go and run that event and not look like a miserable fucker. It's as simple as that. And if you know what times you get snacky at, make sure you've got snacks there. Oh, yeah. Stick a protein bar in your army bag. Take an army bag. Trust yeah. me, and that's, and that's the other thing. Yeah, that's the other thing is like, you know, be aware that you may not get a whole lot of time to go and grab something to eat. So grab, you know, thing, take your snacks, keep things to keep you fucking, keep you up and keep you, mm. keep you happy. All right, so then um, at the end of the day, make sure that you have a good idea about how you're going to award your prizes, what your speech is going to be like at the end, thanking, you know, all the people that have helped you out and all the rest of it. Then basically it's just pack the fucking thing up and go home. But then... At some stage in the next three or four days, take all the photos that you've taken, go through, pick out the maybe 30 or 40 best ones, and then write a bloody after-action report. And, Mm. like, make it so that, you know, whoever reads it, you want that after-action report to be so good that whoever reads it, even if they, you know, if they didn't go to that event, they had a good feel of what happened on the day. Who won? Who came what? Who picked up this? This is the best painted. Look at the army. It's fucking beautiful. Best theme won this because they did this, this, and this. You know, and then also, oh, big thanks to these guys. You know, they really helped us out. Really appreciate it. You know, oh, these guys were amazing. Oh, you know, oh, thanks to these, you know, and thanks to these people because they bought tables of terrain. You know, big thank yous. You know, like let people know how how grateful you are that they came out and helped you because then they're going to be more likely to help you again in the future rather than just ignore them. And then people go, oh, fuck you too. And there's like, a knock-on effect from that. If people look at your after-action report and see that you are, you know, very grateful for the help that you've received, they might. That's probably going to reflect in that those people will then 
come to you for your next event and say, hey, saw you running this event, um, didn't actually get a chance to help out with the last one, but, you know, if I, do you need any help with this one? Is there anything I can do to, you know, assist you with terrain or tables yeah. or helping organize yeah, things? Right. Yeah. And every little bit helps. Oh, my God. Because it's it, one less thing that you need to do. Yeah. Because this is all it. day, it takes away all that stress of you having to worry about the logistics of terrain, tables, packing up, getting all that done. You can yep. simply focus on running the event, handling rules, questions, and taking yep. photos. That's I agree completely. It. Yep, hundred percent. That's exactly what you need. So um, that is, and yeah, after the action, the the after action report is the last thing that you should do, other than say returning the terrain to its, you know, to its its rightful owners mm. and all the rest of it. But the after action report is generally the last thing that you should do. And at that point, congratulations. Hopefully, you've run a successful event. But the idea is to stay motivated and stay engaged and get your players to stay engaged. Like I said, it's no good saying, I'm running an event, and then six weeks later going, well, shit, I don't know why fucking no one showed up. It was weird. I let them know. Yeah. you got to keep people engaged. You have to keep them entertained, and you have to keep them, you know, positive and motivated to rock up to your event. Because if you don't do it, you'll just end up, you know, looking at like, you know, five people going, oh, yeah, no, it was looking like it was going to be pretty big, and now it's not. Mm. I'm not yeah. saying that to, you know, hang shit. I'm just, I want every event to be fucking successful. No, absolutely. And, you know, the more that people do, you know, follow these steps, I'm not saying they're the gospel, but they're certainly, you know, a good framework to go off. Yeah. And the more events that we see, the better the community. The better the community, the more it grows. The more it grows, the easier it is to get games. Oh, yeah, And absolutely. at the end of the day, all those are good things. Yeah, 100%. All right, so I think that's – I think that's. Oh, look, I'm, I imagine that there's TOs out there right now going, oh, you forgot this. Oh, this, you know, oh it's a very important step you've forgotten. <laughs> and, look, if we if we have forgotten something, guys, fucking shoot us a message via the way yeah, um, Bacon Burger Let us know if we forgot something. I'll fucking include it in the next episode. I don't give a shit if I'm wrong. But from what I can tell, that's how you kind of run a successful event. Um, if anybody out there is thinking about running an event for the first time, get in contact with us. Fuck, man, we'll help you. For Jesus, I mean, we're, we love looking at lists. We'll quite happily be a listing committee. That's mm. another thing you should probably consider as well, that during the, um, you know, after you've released the players pack, you're going to start to receive lists. You probably want two or three sets of eyes to have a look over your lists. Um, I have a listing, I have a, I have a listing committee, and most of them are in this fucking Discord right now. But um, I'm telling you right now that for CanCon, it's going to be, there's going to be a listing committee and only half of the bacon burgers will be allowed to see the list and the other half will not be allowed to see them at all. So it'll be an international uh, listing committee. Um, Rubes, I'm not going to let you see the lists because you're bringing Raffi and I don't want Raffi getting a word of anything that's going to come along. And... <laughs> hey, I'm aiming for him to take the uh, youngest player award. Yeah, he said he was going to bring him. I'm like, bad as long as he can throw dice. No worries at all. Um... I think Rubes keeps falling asleep, so I think we're going to fucking knock it on the head. Cause you yeah, he's got an early start. Yeah. yeah. Got to be up for work in uh, less than six hours. Yeah, that's Jesus, rubbish. I not envy you. Yeah, I've got to be yeah, got to be at work for fucking eight, so I'll be up at like fucking 6.30. So, look, um, guys, we're probably going to cut this one a little bit short. I'm hoping... I'm hoping that we had the fucking interview that we've got planned. Sneaky, you and I have got to get fucking onto that. We've been so lazy. 
Um, or well, I've been lazy, you haven't been lazy, I'm just fucking not organising shit. Um, but yeah, guys, uh, thanks for joining us again. Um, any closing remarks, lads? Stay safe, game well. Yeah. Can't order all too many food bars. Don't mind that, stay safe, game well. Alright guys, well, if that's all, I will say goodnight. Alright, adios. See you next time. I like what they do.